Hey guys, what's up? It is week 240. Uh, let's hop into these reviews right off the bat. The first one up is from MVD Rewind, and this is Final Justice. Uh, yeah, this is by Graydon Clark, who should be no stranger to anybody that's into like horror exploitation stuff. This guy's done a slew of movies, including Uninvited, which is a hilarious killer cat movie. He does Black Shampoo. He did Black Shampoo. Um, what was the Satan Cheerleaders? I think is one that has a John Ireland in it. Completely ridiculous movie. Okay, so Final Justice. This stars uh, Joe Don Baker, of all people. Also has a small role by Bill McKinley from, you know, Outlaw Josie Wales and about a hundred other movies. He's a very prolific character actor. And uh, I'm going to always mispronounce this guy's name, but it was quite a shock to me to see him in this movie because he's an Italian character actor who pops up in a couple of maybe like, I think he only did one Spaghetti Western, which was in the Vengeance of Trails box set. Jeez, uh, I can't remember that title of that movie. It's very very good by Massimo Dallamano. But uh, for me, he's always popped up in these kind of 80s uh, Italian horror films such as, you know, uh, Cannibal Apocalypse and uh, City of the Living Dead. Uh, I'm going to look on the back because there's no way I'll even pronounce his name right, but everybody knows who this guy is. Um, Venantino uh, Venatini. Yeah, so this guy is like one of these prolific uh, Italian character actors. And when I saw him in the credits, I about shit a brick. I was like, Joe Don Baker with uh, Italian character actor? I was like, it's going to be an interesting movie. And then I realized it took place in Maltese, and I was like, oh, we're having kind of an international production here right off the bat. Um which is crazy because later we're going to talk about the Maltese Falcon. That's funny that one of these movies took place in Malta. I said Maltese, but Malta. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, we have uh, Joe Don Baker here as this tough Texas lawman. And in the very beginning, his partner is killed. Um, and he chases down uh, a couple of the guys who are responsible. He stops them at the Mexican border. And he doesn't care. He just tells them when they cross the border, he's like, that's nothing but a line in the dirt to me. And he ends up killing uh, Venetini's brother. Uh, Venetini somehow, uh, he's basically going to have to be taken to Italy or something like that. You know, he has to stand trial in Italy, so Joe Don Baker has to transport him. They have to stop in Malta because there is something going on with the computer systems. The baddies have intersected everything, so they basically stop in Malta, and the crime boss helps uh, Venetini escape. Joe Don Baker kind of has this fish-out-of-water thing where he doesn't really belong here, and essentially kind of a Brannigan story with John Wayne, where we have that whole story where uh, Brannigan, uh, John Wayne, is over in uh, UK and he has the big gun, he's the big tough American, he doesn't belong, he doesn't follow their laws and there's a lot of good comedy beats with John Wayne. So essentially what we have here is a is a kind of a Brannigan story. It's It's been done before, you know, the cop in the wrong place, he's not, all, all sorts of stuff, but it's time, is played by Joe Don Baker and he has, of course, a partner from Malta helping him out, this young female who's a good cop and of course, it gets comical to the point because, of course, he's running around trying to catch Vettatini and he's just beating up all the locals and he's shooting people in the middle of the street with his gun. And they, like, capture him, like, five or six times. Like, now this is your last chance. And no matter what he does, no matter how violent he gets, no matter how many bodies pile up, they just don't seem to want to enforce anything. Um, there's uh, some really cool boat chases. There's a nice little boat chase on here. And Joe Don gets the shit kicked out of him in this movie. He's getting hit with paddles and stuff. The bad guys get the upper advantage on him which a couple of times which typically doesn't happen in these movies. You know, the, the main hero is usually invincible. But I, I've always liked Joe Don Baker. You guys know um, he's kind of famous from Walking Tall, but he's in a, a slew of movies. Um... 
Jeez, uh, he's in a, one of the uh, Junior Bonner, which also has Bill McKinley, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's in Congo as a small role. And Kate Fear is another one where I love him in. So he's really, uh, really fun in this movie. He's uh, Geronimo, uh, something he's got like, a, he's part Native American in here. So, and he's always correcting people how to say his name. He's like, the G's not how you say it, it's Geronimo and everything. So it's it's got a nice little character design. And Graydon Clark, like I said, he, he's a pretty prolific guy. And I've always seen him do kind of more of the horror-oriented exploitation stuff he also did without warning which is kind of his bigger title i'd say in the horror audience but honestly i thought he handled the action and everything pretty well here this is one of my favorites by him to be honest and it's just very enjoyable although it does kind of get to the point where it starts to re get repetitive where he's like okay so we, we capture him like he gets away from the baddies the bad guys get away from him and then the law enforcement's like you better stop doing it it gets repetitive at points there's a lot of almost to the comedic effect where he's always laying in the jail kind of sitting there Anyways, I found myself having a good time with this. There's good one-liners. Uh, Joe Don's charming. Um, of course, the location is beautiful. There's lots of chase scenes on foot. There's squibs going off. It's a fairly violent movie. I will laugh at the subtitles a bit because at one point, Venetini, who's an Italian character and an Italian actor in real life, and they're they're trying to cross over the border in Mexico, and I don't know who was doing the subtitles, but uh, when he speaks, sometimes they're like, speaks in Spanish. I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's not speaking in Spanish there, uh, but they might... <laughs> It might have been one of those subtitle deals where they said speaks in Mexican and you're just like, I don't know about that. I don't think that's right. But uh, I'm pretty sure maybe his character was speaking in Spanish just for a split second because they're crossing the Mexican border. I don't believe so. He's like an international hitman and stuff. And But he speaks in Italian in a lot of the movie. He's also a real sadist. Like there's points in here where he's like kind of like treating uh, one of the uh, girls uh, that um, uh, the, the crime boss has in, and he's treating her really rough and there, there's a couple sex scenes and some nudity and stuff. So it is a fun exploitation movie in that vein. And with these MVD rewind collections, what they always do is they always put these like hefty making ofs on here. I hope they have a runtime on it. I did watch the making of on here. So uh, yeah, it's 74 minutes. So that's it's a beefy making of with Graydon Clark on here, editor Larry Bach, cinematographer Nicholas Joseph von Sternberg, who is a name of some. Uh, I think his father was a big cinematographer or something like that, big into films, director or something like that. Anyways, I enjoyed the making of. Graydon Clark is a pretty sharp guy, still sharp, still alive and kicking and uh, I liked hearing the stories about everything like that so anyways uh, and also you know this is probably what is this the second or third time you work with Joe Don Baker Joe Don Baker was also in Joysticks and uh, Wacko I think Wacko is another um, Graydon Clark Joe Don Baker joint so he's got uh, he's kind of has a reputation with them but if you like these kind of movies it's very fun and um, as far as I can tell it's my favorite movie that takes place in Malta I know there was one of the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies I think took place in Malta and some of those other ones but anyways this is very fun and i didn't know that uh greg clark had gone over international and made a couple movies over there too so yeah i know he's done a bunch of movies but yeah good stuff Okay, the next one here is from the MVD Marquee Collection. I don't want to confuse that. And this is Edmund by Stuart Gordon. You know, Stuart Gordon is a very prolific uh, horror director, really. He's kind of put in with the horror kind of guys. But he did a couple other movies, some thrillers, some sci-fi and stuff. And I've always loved Stuart Gordon. Out of Chicago, theater director, made his directorial debut with Reanimator, went on to do From Beyond, Dagon, Pit and a Pendulum, um, a Robot uh, Jock, so uh, Fortress. He's just, uh, if you could tell I'm a big fan of Stuart Gordon, all right? Um, but he did a couple thrillers too, Stuck, Edmund, and uh, King of Ants, which I, I'd seen King of Ants, and now I've seen Edmund, and I gotta say, I was very impressed with Edmund. Um, 
it's it's not an easy movie to take. It's not an easy movie to watch. Um, it stars William H. Macy, who's a, a excellent actor. People will know him from Fargo and about a million other movies. And it has a bunch of small roles by other uh, actors too. Really good, like established actors like Mina Servano's in here. Denise Richards. Who else pops up in here? George Went, who's a, a Gordon regular. Um, I know I'm missing a bunch of people, but I just was really impressed to see the cast. Joe Montana's in here. Uh, anyways, this is like the ultimate kind of midlife crisis meltdown comment on, uh, you know, society and just, I guess, I wouldn't even say just like that stress of just being like that kind of corporate, but also it makes a lot of messed up statements and just the, the mentality here on, you know, kind of like a middle-aged white guy in, uh, in, in a climate. And this one feels, you know, I, like people are like, it's ahead of its time, but it's not even that. It's just that it's just these themes and, and stuff that are in, you know, forever. They're, they're timeless themes and everything. So William H. Macy, this is kind of also like, uh, could be put in the vein of like one of those one crazy night movies where like, it's just kind of a crazy misadventure, but it's just an ugly, ugly misadventure that tackles a lot of stuff like racism and uh, you know, homophobia and, you know, uh, misogyny. And this guy has it all in him. And he's like this mild-mannered, somewhat business guy who kind of gets pushed around and walked over and everything like that. So uh, essentially what happens is William H. Macy is goes home to his wife after kind of a rough day of being walked over at work. It just you kind of get the idea just from a quick scene. Because this movie is very short. There's no, it's just like breakneck speed. It's 120, like two minutes and everything is just right there. Um, it starts off right in that point. And uh, he basically just tells his wife that I don't love you I don't want to be with you I don't feel anything for you and he goes out on the night and he's looking he, he meets this guy in a bar who kind of like kickstarts all these horrible ideas uh, says all these racist stuff on television about what he's watching on TV and stuff and he kind of interacts with this guy and uh, this is like the catalyst kind of for the start of all this stuff but it has to be deeply embedded within him as well so um, he gets this idea that he wants to have sex and it just puts him through this escapade of like all this crazy stuff where he's just like oh that's too expensive when he goes to the strip joint and he can just see like he just refuses to pay and he's just like seeing that he's being taken advantage of to a certain extent and it's just like a, like a lot of ugly crazy stuff but there's like a comedy beat to it as well he's like no that's too expensive I'm not paying for that and there's a uh, that's where he kind of runs into Denise Richards and Mir Savana and uh, Bay Ling I think her name's Bay Ling she's in a bunch of movies so there's like some some explicit nudity in that and everything but it also has this kind of gritty uh, feeling to it too because we see like some peep shows and all that kind of stuff which I don't even know peep shows exist anymore i feel like they probably don't uh maybe 2005 was one of the last years for the peep show but uh, his, his crimes start to uh, escalate at first where he's like he, he kind of fights back to a certain extent and after he gets mugged he kind of takes it out on somebody else who tries to, to pull a fast one on him and he ends up running into Julia Stiles and it, it just gets darker and darker and more twisted and it's just a really ugly movie but also it has a lot of poignant moments and just crazy stuff happening and uh, there's also a, a good performance by Book Keem Woodbine in here which is crazy and the ending is just kind of like oh wow <laughs> I don't know if that's just a comment on how, you know, people will change in certain situations or, you know, society. It's just a crazy different movie that brings up a lot of these questions. And I'd not seen it, but man, the, the cast in here alone is, is tremendous. And, and William H. Macy is a great actor. I don't think anybody would argue that he's not a great actor, but, you know, I, it was really unique to see Stuart Gordon do something like this. Like I said, he had done a couple movies like this, but I thought this was pretty great. Um, yeah, and I'm surprised I had never watched it before. So it was really nice to check it off the Stuart Gordon list. 
list. Uh, the special features include a feature commentary with uh, by writer David Mammon, who's a huge name, so that's probably why the movie is so good and has all these kind of crazy themes and stuff. Feature commentary by director Stuart Gordon, producer Duffy Hench, and actor-producer Lionel Mark Smith. Every Fear Hides a Wish, The Edmund Diary, Deleted Scenes, and Original Theatrical Trailer. Yeah, it's 86 minutes, but the credits are like four or two, so it's a short, short movie. Anyways, check this one out. Uh, don't sleep on this one like I did for so long. I think Stuck. Stuck might be the only Stuart Gordon movie I still need to watch, and I think I've watched all his films. So yeah, check this one out. Edmund, good stuff. Okay, this next one is kind of like a little fun sci-fi movie. Uh, My Stepmother is an Alien. And uh, yeah, this has Dan Aykroyd, John Lovitz, and Kim Basinger in here. Uh, so yeah, this is one that I had never seen, but I've always seen the cover. It's from Arrow Films, put this one out. It's directed by Richard Benjamin, who was an actor first. He's done a bunch of stuff, and I knew he became a director later down the line. And uh, I don't know how many films he directed or where this sits in his filmography, but I, I can't think off the top of my head. I probably should have done a little bit more research. That's, all, that's my bad. But Richard Benjamin was at, I believe, Westworld and a couple other films. Very familiar looking guy. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I love Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd is one of these kind of staples of the 80s for me, obviously, from stuff like Ghostbusters, SNL, um, uh, Great Outdoors. Love Dan Aykroyd. Kern Basinger, you know, she pops up in a lot of movies as well. I always remember from the Getaway remake. I know that's kind of a strange one to, to call back to. And uh, when you always have one SNL guy, whether they're from a different time or not, uh, 70s, 80s, or 90s, or 2000s, there's always w probably going to be a couple more that pop up in here. So we got John Lovitz in this bad boy as Dan Aykroyd's brother. So uh, again, this is the typical kind of fish-out-of-water sci-fi movie. Um, I talked about earlier, we have Final Justice with Joe Don Baker, which is a fish-out-of-water. Fish-out-of-water seems to be kind of a very, you know, kind of simple kind of story structure here. Uh, Dan Aykroyd is some of a scientist of sorts, and he's always kind of a crackpot in a lot of ways, and he's trying to communicate with faraway galaxies and stuff like that. And uh, one night, there's these, like, he does this... Uh, um, this kind of crazy test and everything and it oversurges the systems and it sends a signal across the universe or whatever uh the galaxy whatever regardless so anyways after doing that he's kind of let go from his job because he causes way too many problems and he's the complete opposite of his brother john lovitz who's like this you know sex hound horn dog all he's looking out is to have these big parties and kind of find the you know these uh, these gorgeous women and do whatever you know it's just john lovitz being a creep you know you guys know john lovitz he's kind of the same character type in every movie just different kind of uh you know ranges of darkness to light you know darkest happiness uh, lightest um what is his lightest kind of bench warmers i don't know i'm trying to think of a light john lovitz performance uh but anyways uh so what happens is this send a signal out into the universe and an alien kind of kind of picks it up and it's Kim Basinger and she has like this magic purse which is kind of like a some sort of like I don't know if it's like a, it's like this android robot that's from with that comes with her and has all these magical powers within the purse and it's going to help her out. So um, right away she tries to kind of meet Dan Aykroyd and talk to him and figure out how that they got the you know the signal because that signal is going to cause them some problems. Anyways, what happens is from the title you kind of understand that Dan Aykroyd and Kim Basinger fall in love fairly quickly and Kim Basinger is trying to learn all the the tricks and all the things uh you know uh the the earth so she's doing all these outrageous hilarious things and of course the stepdaughter or the, her stepdaughter is kind of on to her and knows something's up uh yeah this one is cutesy it's very funny uh I enjoyed it but it's, it's kind of weird and it never really finds its footing for me <laughs> like I never really know what the hell's going on even though I do but lots of zany quirky things are happening uh you know uh, John Love 
Lovitch always trying to hit on Kim Basinger, Dan Aykroyd just being kind of charming. And uh, it does get a little to the point where it's like crossing over, like it feels like a kid's movie, but then there'll be like some sexual stuff with Kim Basinger. And you're like, I don't know who this movie's for. But then again, like the late 80s was a little bit more, you know, uh, I don't want to say like explicit with that stuff, but it's just a little bit more loose with kind of the stuff for the ratings and everything. And I was like, this has got to be PG-13. It's kind of where it lines or it would line with. Um, but like I said, if you're a Dan Aykroyd fan, I think you will get it. He kind of plays that, you know, charming yet weird kind of awkward guy. Um, and I really like the relationship he has with his daughter. You know, his daughter is not the type that's like, I don't want you to find love, Dad. She's kind of rooting for him because their mother passed away and they have that sad story and everything like that. So we have that going on, which I, I ca thought was kind of refreshing. I mean, how many times do we have to see a kid be upset at their parent, you know, for being for for remarrying or retrying to kindle that stuff? But uh, Kim Basinger's cute in it. She's funny. She's got does pretty good with it. I enjoyed it. I like the purse aspect because we get all sorts of zany, crazy stuff going on, like her trying to, you know, spend ridiculous a thousand dollar bill at the grocery store. Her making like a twenty four course breakfast, and Dan Aykroyd trying to be oblivious to it and everything like that. But yeah, there's some fun effects as well, um, you know. And it's up to Dan Aykroyd to try to convince the aliens not to do something really bad, right? Um, yeah, I enjoyed this one. It's cutesy, and there's uh, obviously there's kind of obsession with like the writer or director had with old comedian that kind of is playing on the television and they bring it up towards the end of the movie and Dan Aykroyd. I don't know if that's like a, uh, a vanity or like a, a love thing that Richard Benjamin or the writer or Dan Aykroyd had that they wanted to do that, but it definitely seems kind of like shoehorned in where it's like, we got to get this should I stay or should I go kind of gimmick or gag in there that, you know, it's like maybe paying homage or somebody had a deep love for it or maybe they just had access to that. <laughs> I don't know, but it definitely feels a little like, yeah, they're definitely getting that in there as much as they can. Anyways, uh, yeah, my stepmother is an alien. It, it's pretty fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, it's not like like a amazing uh, movie or anything like that, but I do think it's it's definitely worth checking out if you're looking for kind of a cutesy, semi-family friendly '80s movie. Um, as far as the special features are concerned, we have a brand new audio commentary by uh, critic Brian Reisman and the Cosmic Encounters directing my stepmother's nailing and a brand new interview with director Richard Benjamin which I did listen to and uh, you know I, he was kind of I think he was like hired on to do the project he wasn't it wasn't like a passion project of his or something like that but anyways it looks good and sounds good there's lots of like loud explosions and, and crazy stuff going on I thought the surround sound came in very uh, very good on my system and I was kind of jumping during the lightning storm and everything like that so yeah uh, it, it's it's kind of like uh, it's 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 fun you know I would give it a check out if you like that kind of thing okay continuing some 2021 watches for you know the year end show that I'm going to eventually have to do. Uh, this one is by Ben Wheatley, and this is In the Earth. And I uh, watched this on Hulu. I believe it was on Hulu. So, uh, yeah, Ben Wheatley did a bunch of movies. He's uh, kind of a, you know, cult director at this point, and he also produces a lot of stuff. Um, you know, uh, the Sightseers and Kill List are probably his two biggest in the kind of horror genre movies. So, uh, In the Earth, I had heard mixed things, and I didn't really know how I'd feel about this. I'm kind of hot and cold on Wheatley. I love Sightseers. Um, I didn't care much for a field niggling and I, I thought free fire was pretty good so like I got one I love one I like and one I don't care for out of the three I've seen so in the earth uh yeah um this one is a eco horror film it's kind of it was done during the COVID time so there's a lot of that going on at the, at the movies coming out 
kind of done in isolation, minimal cast, all that kind of stuff. But uh, this is like an hour and 45 minutes long. The runtime had me a little iffy. I was like, minimal cast, longer runtime. I'm not sure where this is going to go. And uh, it takes place during, a, uh, you know, like there obviously is some sort of like virus or, or you know, uh, horrible thing going around. So everybody's kind of keeping isolated, spraying off, being extra careful. And it's up to these two people, uh, one of which I think is like a park ranger and one is a scientist. They're supposed to go out and kind of uh, look for this other scientist and study some things and all that. So as they kind of go out into the, the wilderness and everything, they're warned, uh, you know, that they got to keep their wits about them. It's, it's kind of rough out there. You know, some people can lose their minds and whatnot. And they're also uh, kind of like they, they notice something, uh, a painting on the wall. The scientist does that's kind of like this folklore character and mythology. And he's interested in it for sure. And it's like this big piece of foreshadowing. So they go out there with these kind of warnings and these kind of these little things that they've seen and it kind of turns into that um, at first um, the first like 30 40 minutes of the movie I was a little worried that we we're going to kind of be very very simple and not do anything different that I've already seen because they run into this character who's very odd and he just has a lot of weird things going on and uh, he starts to kind of um, like he, I, like I don't want to spoil too much but some crazy things start to happen and we see some uh, some real brutal moments actually when the brutality hits it's fairly gory and the effects are really well done and there's it's not like the kind of like cheering gore or violence it's really kind of that stuff where you're like cringing a lot of cringe gore in this movie but uh, this this person they meet seems completely out of it and dangerous and he starts to he's like kind of going on and on about you know like this weird folklore stuff and and, and past cre and whatever eventually we get away from that a little bit and we run into the scientists they're looking for and this is when the movie kind of takes a turn and I was like okay now we're into something interesting and different and I started to really kind of dig it and it starts to get into that point where we're like into these Quatermass kind of ideas, like Quatermass film ideas, where you're like, this is weird mind-bending shit that has these big themes and big big ideas is more like it. Big scientific ideas mixing with these other things. And you're just like, it's hard to grasp everything that's going on because the characters are using these electronical sounds and electronical networks to try to communicate with th certain things. And you're like, this is fucking bonkers. This is fucking weird. And I'm into it. And it starts to get trippy and different and hallucinations and a lot of good visuals. They actually warn you about tripping out uh, from epilepsy. You know, they don't want epileptic people watching this thing because it could cause seizures, that kind of movie. And uh, they go there. And uh, the, there's this one character, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, <laughs> he's like, I need to go to the hospital. And that's uh, a callback to the very beginning. And I can't stand this fucking guy. Good actor. The acting on the four main leads is all very good. But uh, one of the characters, they, they're such a... Oh, I, they're driving me crazy because their performance like just a, not like a bad performance like they're doing a good job enough to make me fucking hate them which is good but I was very happy with what happened to this character so yeah this is a good movie this is interesting stuff it's cool it's different it's in the earth it's on Hulu check it out um, and give I know the first 40 minutes you're like oh this is a little bit slow and that's not a problem but you're like I feel like I've been there done that please don't stay like this and it doesn't really stay like this it gets real weird and uh, real uh, eco horror and crazy so it's cool stuff uh, check out in the earth okay another one from 2021 is by um what is it julia D i'll never say her name right but she's the director of raw from 2016 and this is titane uh yeah this is a crazy movie i ended up renting this on uh, amazon prime um although i do have the the blu-ray pre-order so couldn't help it anyways uh yeah titane this is this is another crazy one. This is another bizarre film. And uh, yeah, um, did I like it better than Raw? I thought Raw was a very good movie. I think Raw is more firmly placed in the horror genre than Titan, or Titan, however you say it. But 
I feel like this one I, I did enjoy a little bit more. I thought it had a lot going for it, and it's real weird. So the first part of this film plays out kind of like this weird kind of psychological kind of serial killer film in a lot of ways. But after that, it turns more to body horror. And at the, and then we have like this kind of family drama element, and then it gets completely crazy again. So that's where I'm gonna go. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, the lead performance here is this uh, from this actress who I don't know her name, but she's pretty good in it. She's really kind of a lot of the movie is placed on her shoulders. There's like two kind of characters that are kind of placed on uh, the the whole movie's placed on the shoulders, but. Uh, Anyway, she's this like dancer, uh, exotic dancer, and she like dances, kind of fetishizes cars and everything like that. And there's a lot of she has like a lot of male fans that are really kind of weird and awkward and pushy and stuff like that. And uh, she seems to enjoy killing them at times when they go too far with it. Um, this kind of definitely plays something on her psychology and everything like that. And uh, it leads to some really brutal murders and some really messed up moments. Uh, there's a, there's a couple moments like when people are killed in this movie, it's it's really hard to watch. Like and not in like a it's a hard to watch stuff like, oh man, that's rough stuff. I, I don't want to see that shit. Like, I feel bad. It's like that moment uh, really builds tension very well. Um, some great iconic shots, like uh, when they go through to the initial like car fetish strip place, and a lot of people are like, the, some of the shots are really great. But then there's also these like wide shots where she's in the middle of the frame, and like they, the, I don't know, the framing's really good, and I thought that was great. The the score and the soundtrack really hits really well. It's loud, and there's a part of this movie where you can kind of see a lot of males dancing together and it's not really like looked at in this kind of culture as a homosexual activity you know because in America males don't typically dance with each other and this kind of like slow kind of dancing music it just doesn't typically happen uh, very much unless it's more of a homosexual thing um, and this it seems to be more open and uh, at times even more masculine a lot of guys kind of like dancing and stuff like that but um it definitely plays on like a lot of these kind of you know uh, sex uh, kind of switching of the sexes and stuff like that which I, I don't want to get too much into it if I say any more I'll spoil it but uh, in the beginning we do have like more of a horror bend and sci-fi bend and body horror bend and the body horror element carries out through the entire film but then like in the middle section we have less of that and more of this family drama where this other character is introduced and this character is just one of my favorite characters of the year he's he's very strong performance very unique performance and uh, just very good he reminds me of, like a Christopher Maloney but the like French version of Christopher Maloney or Elias Cotez or somebody like that and I think he's really good and I think he's great um, and I think it's a, a, a wonderful performance but the end of this movie is very dark too and uh, different and it's just like uh, oh man this is a great movie the more I'm talking about it the more I enjoyed it and I definitely will revisit it when I get the Blu-ray but this is good stuff interesting weird now it's not a straight up horror film but I mean I don't know what other genre what any other genre would ever have this and it has these elements of horror and different things like that so I think it's horror enough to include in a list but Titan check it out uh, the cinematography is great the score is great the acting's really good too so yeah I think it's a winner I enjoyed it and uh, it's the only movie this year spoiler slight spoiler skip ahead three seconds um, if you don't want to hear it, you're going to see a woman fuck a car or a car fuck a woman, whichever way you want to put it. It's there. Uh, yeah. So Titan, good stuff. Okay. Next up, I'll be kind of brief with this cause we're going to cover it for the Christmas show on the 22 shots, but this is silent night, bloody night from 1972. Uh, yeah, this is a weird one. <laughs> this is a bizarre movie. It's a proto slasher. It's got Mary Warnoff in it. It's got John Carradine in it and a couple other familiar faces, but this is a super strange film. It opens up with this narration that kind of reminded me of something like Messiah of evil a bit different and like the structure is very weird and just kind of a bonkers weird film where uh it, it, something happened horribly in this house where like uh the family has a dark 
kind of nasty gothic history, you know, how that kind of thing goes where family secrets and everything. And uh, one day the father sets himself on fire and he dies. Um, the house, uh, it seems like a lot of the family members have mental illness. The house goes up on the market. Everybody in this town wants this fucking thing gone because it shares like kind of a stigma on the place. Um, and the guy who's hired to sell it shows up and he talks to like the kind of town elders, one of which is John Carradine, who basically communicates with a fucking bell. And uh, essentially they realize they got to sell this and this guy's kind of there on behalf of the grandson of the place. So anyways, what happens is some of these people start getting picked off in strange ways. Uh, there's a weird kind of element in Christmas feel and narration and flashbacks and all these kind of weird shit going on until kind of we realize what the hell's going on. And uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but it is a bonkers ass movie. Uh, for the time, I think it's, it's a little ahead of its time in the in the gore department and some of the other stuff going on. Mary Warnoff is really young in this. I really like seeing her do something a little bit different from eating Raul, which I love her. She's just one of the ones that I just am immediately drawn to. I always love John Carradine too, and it's kind of a different performance by him. But this is one of these movies where it's like, I don't trust anybody in this fucking thing. Everybody seems like a nutcase in it. The town seems like it's just not right. And there's a reason for it, and I like that reason for it. So yeah. Uh, anyways, Silent Night, Bloody Night, really cool horror Christmas movie. And uh, before a lot of the stuff that would come out too, and the flashbacks kind of add an element of creepiness too. Anyways, I like how this one looks. I like the aesthetic and everything like that. So Silent Night, Bloody Night. If you want to see a little bit more in-depth review, check out the Christmas episode coming from 22 Shots, probably by the end of the month or something like that. And I think all four of us will be on that show for once. So yeah. Okay, the next one is also one we're covering for the Christmas show. And this is Calvair, aka The Ordeal from 2004. And this is by the director who would go on to do Alleluia, which is kind of a remake of Honeymoon Killers. Now Calvair, I think it's a uh, Belgian, Belgium if I'm not wrong. And this is a movie I've actually never seen. And that's like a blind spot for me. It's pretty bad because uh, Calvair always had kind of an infamous, uh, you know, uh, a story like behind it always had an infamy to me. Like people always brought it up as kind of extreme or crazy films. And it always sounded like something I'd absolutely love. I've been sitting on the DVD for years. I thought Alleluia was okay. I know they would go, uh, the director would go on to do Adoration as well, which uh, Vinegar Syndrome sublabel put out. I think uh, Altered Innocence had, had released that. So I'm looking at this one, Calvair. And uh, um, actually been brought to my attention that the main star of this movie would go on to be in Raw as the, the father in that movie. But it also has, uh, I believe his name is Philip uh, Nathan. Uh, and this guy is in I Stand Alone. He's in Irreversible. He's in High Tension. Um, he's in uh, what the original kind of Gaspar Noe short carne, uh, meat, I believe, a beef, beef or whatever that one is. So, I mean, like it's got a nice little cast. It's got a couple familiar faces. This is a kind of a rule kind of um, exploitation, I guess you'll say, done French style during Christmas. So <laughs> you don't get too many movies like that. Um, so we have this kind of traveling singer who seems to be semi-famous and he seems to have maybe a little bit some uh, dark side to him or some secrets of his own. Anyways, uh, we oh geez, he um, has an interaction with the uh, actress who's in a brunch of the John Rowland movies in the very beginning too. I can't think of her name. She's in a slew of the blonde who is in a ton of these movies. I know her name will be on the back. She's in a ton of exploitation movies. So it's definitely a shout out to include her to have her. Uh, Bridget Lani Lehane. She's in here which i thought was a nice touch so anyways he he kind of goes to these like old folks homes and he kind of performs for him i don't he's like a singer and he sings these songs and there's this really kind of awkward moment in the very beginning where he has with a couple of these old women older women and i thought like the awkwardness and tension and sadness in those moments the melancholiness it just felt legit felt real and i just felt very awkward and very uh uh 
uncomfortable. And this movie's really good at making you uncomfortable. Even if it doesn't go everywhere you think it's going to go, there's just a lot of uncomfortability within it. And it's a lot shorter than I thought it would. It's a lot more fast-paced. Um, it doesn't kind of linger in the horror all that much, what I thought it would. So anyways... Um, the, the guy here, he's, he's traveling in his van. He seems to have his whole life in this van, and his car kind of breaks down on this kind of isolated rural area. This uh, this older man decides to help him, and he takes his van. He he kind of takes his van to his kind of like, it's like an inn he has where he used to function, and his wife used to run it with him. His wife is gone, and right away it's weird. He says he's worked on the car, and what he entered is some sort of weird hell where uh, it doesn't seem to be very uh, much populated with women. He sees a couple couple really horrific images where the are uh, things that these people are doing and I don't want to spoil much but I love the that there's this one big guy and like it seems like every time they're about to kind of participate in this certain act he kind of does this and you see him doing this at one point like kind of stepping back and forth and you're just like where the hell is this going and then there's a scene in the bar where they're all doing that and it's like this ritual and I was like oh shit this is scary this is weird as shit and I, I really like that I thought that that was a nice little touch but then we have kind of like some siege element which reminded me of something straight out of straw dogs and I could tell you that was some straw dog shit some good cinematography from up above and uh, some some crazy you know exploitation stuff that would happen in those kind of movies anyways um the, pro the only problem with this is like I wanted more. I wanted more of the movie. Like I could have had another 20 minutes, but it's always best to want people having a want another 20 minutes or not than them being like, this is 20 minutes too long. So I, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was quite good, uh, quite well made, quite well acted and fairly disturbing. And I love the ending. I love uh, what happens. It's just really good stuff. Anyways, check this out. Definitely worth your time. Definitely a good flick. Definitely interesting too. And a different exploitation kind of film. Uh, I like these rural horror films because this is definitely something that I feel like uh, we could actually have happened to us and it's very kind of just disturbing but anyways uh, another movie that kind of turns that kind of uh, you know typical kind of uh you know, tropes on their head, not tropes, but uh, it definitely tackles these gender bending things similar to Titan. So it's kind of good that they're both in the same week uh, for review. Anyways, Calvair, if you want to see more about it, check out the 22 shots, moods and horror Christmas episode, which should be coming up. I think that we'll have a decent amount to say on this one. Okay. The next one is a Patreon pick from Jason Willard and he picked the trial of the Chicago seven. This is on Netflix and this is by a director, Adam Sorkin. And I know he's done a lot of stuff, but I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't keep up too much on a lot of the newer films that aren't horror oriented or, or you know genre films and genre cinema so uh yeah this one i did enjoy and i know it's based on a true incident and everything like that so um when i was looking into the movie a little bit afterwards reading review a lot of people were very upset how they you know presented some of the characters within the movie you know the chicago seven they're like this is kind of complete horseshit and a lot of them were kind of pointing out the baron uh sasha cohen character they're like he just portrays his character completely wrong and um it's kind of insulting and if i would know more about the true story Story. I mean, uh, the 60s were really kind of a crazy time, you know, political movements and all those kind of things and, and you know, civil rights movement and all this kind of shit and police brutality, you know, uh, some things never change. You know, these like, again, I'm bringing up these kind of things that just seem to be every, you know, uh, people are constantly having the same issues and everything like that. And things do change gradually, but there's always a constant fight for it. And I think that that's probably why this movie was chose to be made at this time. And everything is a statement kind of modern day, all that kind of stuff, you know, now now is a good time to make it, I guess, or they could you know kind of see like reflections what's happening and connections and all that kind of stuff so as far as the genuine like small little details about the the case are concerned i can't tell you how that i can't tell you the details and the character how accurate they are 
But just as far as watching it as someone who knows, you know, the history of America and, you know, a little bit, you know, about, you know, just the, the, the culture and climate that we live in um, and everything like that, I did enjoy the film. I do not know how they portrayed certain characters or incidents wrong. That could be very aggravating for a lot of people, especially who are scholars in the subject and everything like that. You know, it would be very annoying to them. So I'm sure that, like, they have negative things that I won't see. And I completely understand that. But as far as just watching the movie as itself, I, I enjoyed it structurally, how it was done and everything. So uh, basically, it's a case where these seven people kind of organized, uh, you know, the Democratic Convention, they were kind of nominating somebody they wanted to be there to kind of, you know, basically, you know, uh, peaceful protest they couldn't get a permit so they kind of just went there and essentially it's a new uh uh president coming in and he wants to prosecute these people you know after after the old johnson administration left the new ones coming in and they want to prosecute these people and everything like that to kind of prove a point um and they're uh, put on trial also besides the chicago seven there's another person as well uh black panther uh who is played by the guy who actually was in the new Candyman, and he does a really good job i thought he was tremendous in Candyman. i thought he does a good job in this too the cast is really kind of which keeps you interested in here. Besides that, we have uh, Sacha Baron Conan, we have Eddie Redmayne, John Carroll Lynch, and uh, a couple other recognizable people pop up in here. Franklin Gella, um, like I said, Michael Keaton is in here. I love Michael Keaton. He could do no do no wrong to me. And uh, another a bunch of other character actors you'd recognize. I also love John Carroll Lynch. Every time he pops up, I just love him. His uh, speech and invitation is, is one of the best I've seen in that kind of movie, and I thought he was tremendous. His, his scenes in Zodiac Killer are also great. Um, so he's just a good actor that I like and I like his character type in the film um Anyways, Langella, I also love, but man, he plays the judge in this film and he's completely biased, complete asshole and just very graded on my last nerve. And it's just one of these things. I'm going to say something that uh, I don't want to get political or anything, but I fucking I know this is going to sound like a shitty thing to say. and A lot of people, older people will be upset, but hey, I doubt older people can even work the Internet. Am I right? Uh, I'm talking this old, like 75, you know, 80 years old. I'm just like. I can't stand seeing old motherfuckers in politics, like, and, and making decisions for everybody. Because, like, when I talk to a lot of old people I work with, they just have no clue what the fuck is going on when it comes to like this kind of stuff. So, like, having a judges that are completely out of touch and stuff, and, and like this, you're just like, well, this guy is completely out of touch, and he's and everything like that. It's just like you get to see his old ineptness and and, and you know obvious uh, biases and shit like that. So, like, that kind of shit always drives me crazy. And I'm not like picking on one side or the other when it comes to politics. It's just like I just don't think that anybody in the prime of their life is 75 fucking years old <laughs> i know they're not as sharp as they used to be i'm saying that i know people are like well no you know but whatever whatever so like seeing that like struck a chord with me seeing like this old judge who's just out of touch with shit uh doesn't know how the internet works i mean like that that's nowadays there's obviously the internet's not in the 60s but you get what i'm saying like even at that point just seeing like an old judge reminded me of the times we live in now um Obviously, the movie was trying to do that. And my, some people hate being manipulated like that. Some people like it's so obvious that they're trying to do the connection. Whatever. And maybe some people say it's ham-fisted. Why is everything got to be political today? Whatever. I don't care about that as long as I enjoy the film. Uh, Eddie Redmayne is an actor um, that I don't know if I like. He, he's. I remember he's in Jupiter Ascending, and I was like, I don't know about that performance. He's really weird. I just and like every time I see him, I just don't know how to take him. Like I don't hate him. I just don't like him. I just I feel like his performances are always off, and I just don't really get him. If that makes any sense, he's yet to convince me that he's a great actor. 
and it takes a while you know sometimes like i I always say actors and actresses like a lot of them i don't love and then they'll have a performance where i'm like that's it that's the one that won me over and i'll enjoy them ever ever i've yet to see something that's made me win him over like i just don't give a shit like he's also in black death which i love but i don't really give a shit about him in that either it's just that he's not an actor i give a shit about i don't really particularly care for him and a lot of it's put on his shoulder uh sasha baron cohen and i i enjoyed to a certain extent he's kind of like the uh kind of radical like says out loud makes people look stupid um gets gets his point across and everything and 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 stuff like that john carroll lynch is like a soft-spoken kind of very serious kind of demonstrator and everything um structurally they do some cool things where they have these flashbacks and everything and everybody's explaining it and they'll jump back and do that stuff i thought that was really effective at the end of the day i enjoyed the film for what it was but like i said i have no dog in the fight as as far as as how how close it was to the actual situation or how the characters were portrayed and that could hang some people up if they're super familiar with it as far as the film is concerned i enjoyed it and i thought it was pretty good um and uh yeah of course this one you know has the big budget to get the big cast and the needle drops and stuff like that so uh yeah and obviously uh, another movie that uh, a lot of people could see some comparisons to nowadays so that's a trial of the chicago seven uh i enjoyed it um i don't know if anybody else will or what what they will but you guys will know if you like this kind of stuff or not okay guys time to get your pervert cards out and uh, this is put out by uh, pink inga and this is twilight dinner from 1998 this is actually directed by i'll mispronounce his name yutaka ujima jima who directed like a, over 120 films and he was in over 500 movies this guy they call him mr pink for a reason right he's uh very prolific in these kind of things and this is a fairly short film um that has like one of these crazy set pieces and i i feel like it is kind of centered around this crazy set piece but i like these kind of movies this is like japan's answer to like the euro horror lesbian vampire movies that came out in the 60s and 70s by like john roland or jess franco or something like that but it's done in the pinky japanese style so it's going to be short it's going to be semi-pornographic and uh yeah that's kind of what we have here so Structurally, we again have this guy who is arrested in the very beginning, and he's being kind of interviewed by these two police officers. And uh, what happened was he um, some really graphic stuff here, where there's this woman who seems to have her genitalia bitten off and covered in blood, and it appears that he ate her out a little too rough, I guess you'll say. So uh, that's kind of what we're going in here, and this guy starts to go on about a story. And he's got a lot of things going on. Uh, he doesn't look very healthy, and he starts telling the story about these two young, uh, these two women that moved in across the, across the street from him, and he's helped them move. And he fell in love with the younger one. And at one point, he was kind of, you know, they're sensitive to light, and something happened during a sexual escapade with the other one. And you kind of get where this is going. And like, there's a lot of these kind of movies where they're like these kind of like sexual, these vampire movies and everything. But I felt like this one had a couple of unique things to offer, and I really enjoyed it. There's a of course a lot of sex scenes explicit sex scenes in the softcore kind of style they show you as much as they can at a japanese film you guys know what that means so no genital uh, nudity or no you know pubic hair or anything like that but i feel like it doesn't hold back there's lots of like sexual scenes and nudity but after the character kind of is bit he, go- he goes on and he's kind of explaining that um which i thought was kind of neat that they did this because i've always said you know vampire sexual preference is blood like it, it surpasses you know homosexuality heterosexuality 
homosexuality, it's blood, you know? And he says that uh, after this happened to him, he initially got this thirst, and he couldn't quench the thirst no matter what. Whatever he ate made him sick. Whatever he drank made him sick. And he needed to have these sexual exploit, you know, sexuality. He became highly sexual, and he started being attracted to males as well as he was always attracted to the females. So, like, he, he kind of has this voracious sexual appetite, and it actually goes to those places. And I was like, this is very strange, very, very bizarre that they did this kind of turn in the movie, which seems like a very kind of straightforward, you know, straight sexual pinky film. And then we kind of like go into the, like the homosexual activities a little bit more, which is kind of strange in this one. They actually, this cut, they cut out a couple of the homosexual acts in here, but they are included as like a couple deleted scenes on here if you want to watch them. One of which has the director and the lead actors talking about the movie too, talking about those scenes, which is very kind of cool to see some context and the reason why they were cut, you know, for the international version. And it makes sense. But uh, I, I was kind of surprised that it went to those little, those kind of ideas like that. Um, yeah, uh, the, the big set piece scene is pretty grueling, pretty nasty stuff. Like I said, you kind of know what's going to happen because the very beginning, but they show it, it, it kind of, uh, gratuitous detail and I was just like I don't hear anybody bring this movie up in kind of the extreme kind of phase and it kind of made me laugh because like I remember like if, if you're ever into like the underground horror films or the extreme horror films in Japan and stuff people are always like oh you got the guinea pig films of course and then they're like lady in the sea of blood man that's crazy and it's literally just a it's just a woman in a shower showering in, in red corn syrup and I'm just like and people are like yeah that's great I'm like well, it's not even a fucking movie it's not a movie it's not a film and this one has a scene like that um, of a vampire attack that's, gr uh, you know, gratuitous and sexual and gory and it's just fucking bonkers. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's crazier than anything. And the lady is Sea of Blood wants to watch 45-minute fetish film of a lady, you know, showering in red corn syrup. Who gives a fuck? I mean, that's not a movie. Sorry, it's not. It's not a film. It's not a film. This one, uh, and it has that scene, and I was just like, this is crazy. This is kind of insane, and it's like a moment like that. But, I mean, the, the runtime's like an hour and two minutes, so, like, you get your money's worth if you're looking for, like, sexual stuff, and, and uh, that gore scene is pretty crazy, pretty wild. Uh, the lead actor in here, he doesn't really seem to have any fears, uh, the sexual situations and everything like that. Um and a lot of the actresses too. Uh, I thought the acting was solid. I liked the kind of interrogation kind of setup, framing story as well. And there's a little twist at the very end. Uh, but yeah, I thought this was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, these kind of pinky movies. I. It's funny. Like the more I watch, the more I'm into them. Like I'm just like I'm now I'm watching like regular movies, and I'm like, where's the weird sex scenes in here? I should be a sex scene right now. I'm getting bored with like regular movies. Or like if I, I watch a lot of Hong Kong movies lately, I'm like, where's the kung fu fight scene? Why is this not happening? Where's the fight? These are boring. Like, I'm getting bored with, like, a lot of non-Asian cinema just because they just have lots of these crazy elements in them. Anyways, I, I thought this Twilight uh, Dinner movie was pretty nuts and enjoyable. And, uh, yeah, it has features on here. Interview with the lead actress. One of the lead actresses in here talks about her career, how she became a director. And uh, she seems very kind of open about the situation. An interview with the director who talks a little bit about this movie and how he got a start and how he was in 500 freaking movies and directed, like, over 120 and 19. And this is only in, like... I think like early 2000s whenever this DVD came out so there's lots of crazy stuff and it just has a lot of features that I didn't expect also a commentary anyways Twilight Dinner um, I enjoyed it I thought it was a, a, it was a really interesting crazy uh, pinky film and I need to watch more I'm sure maybe this has a little bit more like this out there and a lot of people are like well they're all kind of like that and I've seen like a lot of Sato movies and stuff and, and a handful of the Roman porno films but uh, yeah this one uh, pretty crazy stuff so good too I enjoyed it Okay, now it's time to hop into those 1994 reviews. Prison officials say Dahmer's head may have been bashed against a wall. They have last-minute appeals failed to stop the execution of America's most notorious mass murderer, John Wayne Gacy. 
Throughout, Chikatilo presented himself as a wretched victim of nature's indifference. Satan approves. The delusion of a disordered mind, a phantom, a spirit, a ghost. Look, he hasn't got any relatives, and the coma he's in is irreversible. Give me a signature and I'll pull the plug now! Fuck off! This next one is really bizarre. It's uh, That Little Monster. It's a black and white uh, experimental film. I would say experimental. Feels kind of a lot, a lot like, you know, a Final Thesis movie in college. It has like experimental aspect, like surreal, you know, David Lynch kind of style to it. But also the camera work is very kind of young and like kind of let's move the camera. Let's do strange thing. Let's do these bizarre zoom ins and everything like that. But then it also has almost like a slapstick comedy, comedy vibe with it. Twilight Zone vibe with it in terms of twist and, and storyline but then it also feels like uh it's just a weird ass movie like it also uh, like just comedy element i don't know how to go about it like uh so anyways this that little monster the plot is a follow as follows uh, a couple kind of hire this babysitter to watch their young uh their baby uh take care of it um Reggie Bannister makes a couple appearances in here. He seems to live in the area, but he's going out as well. He's kind of a weird part-time comedian, so Reggie Bannister, Phantasm fame. Uh, this is also made the same year as Phantasm 3, so Reggie Bannister is keeping busy this year. Um, but yeah, he, his presence is fun in the film. So she's supposed to take care of this baby. The house is decorated really strange, almost like a 50s kind of style. Really bonkers, um, which kind of reminds me of Lynch a little bit too, uh, the 50s kind of style. But the black and white and the baby and stuff reminds me of Racerhead, so we got all sorts of weird shit going on. Anyways, uh, it, it's a relatively short film, so after a while, she's warned about the baby, and you just know something's not right. She's having weird kind of, like, I, I, like visions, I guess you'll say, uh, to a certain extent. And when we actually get the reveal what the baby looks like, it looks so crazy, so weird. It's got, like, this big pie face and this small little nose, and the baby is a fucking monster. It causes her all sorts of problems and uh, everything like that. And she, she has a couple lines which kind of hint what the hell's going on, but they don't really, you're never gonna guess it until exact until the very end you're like oh shit i guess that is what's going on it's so weird so weird but uh and they also do this thing where they'll have like the heads floating in darkness kind of like i think the house on haunted hill would do that kind of like where they have like the heads like everything's black it's a black and white movie so like there's the heads in the lights the only thing you see kind of talking and these like weird memories but anyways i thought the twist was very fun uh, uh i feel like this kind of fits a little bit with oswong 
came out this year, which is a pregnancy horror, not a baby horror, but kind of in the same vein. Like, And we also have Unborn 2 kind of this year, uh, 94, so baby horror. Anyways, this was enjoyable and short and weird, and the camera moves. When we're talking about independent movies, I like to see do crazy camera angles. I'm not watching an independent movie uh, to see them try to make uh, a lesser version of a huge movie. I want to see something different, um, and I know a lot of people kind of like hold it against independent movies for trying something weird and different, but man, if, as long as you do something that sticks with me, and this one does, and I like little creatures, so I mean, I was into it there too. But uh, yeah, it also has some gross, like gross stuff going on too. But that little monster, uh, yeah, check it out if it sounds like it's up your alley. I enjoyed myself. Uh, it also has Bob Hope, uh, a <laughs> small little cameo by Bob Hope, and uh, Forey J. Ackerman also does like a little introduction to the movie. Uh, yeah, so you know, famous monsters. Uh, so check this one out. Uh, I enjoyed myself. That little monster, very very cute uh, in a clever kind of way, right? Okay, uh, continuing that 1994 run, and we got another one, a Hong Kong flick, another Cat 3 movie, and this is uh, Daughter of Darkness 2. So I watched the first one last time, so now we have the sequel here. Uh, yeah, I guess this probably maybe could have got the pervert card as well. And this fits uh, kind of structurally with Daughters of Darkness and Tone, the first one. And I think this is actually a sequel with the same director, if I'm not mistaken. So what happens is... Um, we have this kind of like uh, this this detective, and he's looking to kind of be famous, kind of uh, like how Anthony Wong kind of was promoted after the first one. That's what they kind of they say, and he wants to. He looks at him and says, "I could do what he did. I just need a case to break through." So we have these comedic kind of goofy cops and everything like that. Um, and what happens is uh, then we have like the flashback kind of story, right? Um, and we see this like dark side to the entire thing. And now I, I'm gonna apologize a little bit because I watched Daughter of Darkness two and Brother of Darkness. They came out the same year back to back so my mind is blending them both together because brother is kind of like not necessarily a sequel but kind of feels like a sequel and all three daughter of darkness one and two and brother of darkness all have the kind of baddie from um daughter of darkness one he plays an asshole in all three films especially in brother of darkness he has a bigger part so uh yeah this movie is, is dark as well what we have here is these and goofy like i said half goofy half dark um so the background story um like it's again structurally kind of flashback storytelling here we have this young woman and man kind of traveling to this uh, isolated location. They stop in this rule. I don't even remember why they're there, to be honest. But um, they kind of like have a run-in with this asshole at a car accident who is the dickhead from Daughter of Darkness. He's also in uh, Story of Ricky. He's in a bunch of movies. He always plays kind of a crazy guy. Um, real mean-looking guy. Real wide nostril, like kind of intense, you know, uh, like spaces between his teeth. Just always like sleazy looking kind of character um so they have a run-in with him and uh after that they kind of uh you, you learn a little bit about this couple that uh the husband is impotent and he needs to have a young kid um which is uh so he can like you know have like his parents you know give off the offspring and everything like that i think it's kind of an oswong kind of storyline too where they're like well you gotta have they, they what they feed to her like you gotta have a kid to have you know the inheritance all that kind of shit whatever so he he's madly in love with his wife but we have this impotent storyline which also is in brother of darkness which is really fucking weird um and we realize it's an old war wound uh anyways the, the young woman starts kind of a sexual relationship with the, the a friend of theirs in this small rural town and that's where the problems start to happen. Uh, the bad guys end up hearing wind of this, and they start to blackmail and 
Of course, we have Crazy Rape and Revenge and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't really know where to go too much in depth with this, but it seems like it has a little bit happier ending than the first Daughter of Darkness, but then the very end, it gets just as dark. So, uh, yeah, the cop is a little bit more sensitive to the case in this one, I would say, but uh, I think this one's a little lesser than Daughter of Darkness. Um, I think it just kind of holds back a little bit, but uh, of course, it's almost the same movie structurally, but changes some things around. There's, of course, some hot, steamy sex scenes. Um, one of which I thought was kind of interesting because we have the husband holding his wife's hand while she's getting plowed by somebody else. It's like uh, kind of a cuck story, but not necessarily a cuck because it's a little different because he's incapable. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I thought this one was decent. I thought it was okay. Uh, not, not nearly as compelling or as crazy as Daughter of Darkness 1, and I did miss the presence of Anthony Wong. So anyways, though, I did, I did like this one overall, just not perfect or anything like that. Okay, the next one from 1994 is Brother of Darkness. This is a video universe release. Uh, yeah, so... Um yeah, this one actually has Anthony Wong in this one, and again, it has a similar structure story, but it's a little bit different. We have a, a guy who's on a trial here for the murder of his brother, and his brother is played by the baddie from Daughter of Darkness 1 and Daughter of Darkness 2, so same actor popping up here. Um, so anyways... Anthony Wong is in this one. It's a very small kind of role. He's a kind of a prosecuting attorney on the thing. So this is Hong Kong. So he's actually wearing like the wig because, you know, I believe at the time Britain was in charge of Hong Kong, yada, yada, yada. So that's basically the plot. And we kind of flash back to what happened. So we go all the way back to the brother's childhood where um, we have young, the young man here. He's a very small child and his brother comes in after being released from prison. This is kind of a pattern that he has. Every, every time he's released from prison, he comes back and he abuses his parents. He abuses his brother, all sorts of things like that. And uh, at one point, he knees his younger brother in the genitals and throws him out the window when he's very small. And this causes a lot of mental problems and physical problems later on in his life. We kind of fast forward a bit to where we see he's kind of like started taking martial arts to take care of himself. And uh, his brother keeps coming into the picture and doing all these horrible things like screwing his wife during when they're having dinner and just being very abusive and basically like molesting his wife and all sorts of horrible things. It's so dark that this guy sells his wife and his kid away to somebody else else and and he has like this drug habit and he just puts his family through the ringer to the point where he's just such a despicable piece of shit that you want him to die in all three of these movies he is such a monster and he's very good at doing that but of course it kind of leads up to the very end climax where you know we know what he's going to do and we have this kind of crazy fight scene between him and his brother uh not so, very one-sided if you will but uh, they do manage to squeeze in a couple really, uh, some sex scenes and everything, although the character is impotent, very, which happens in Daughter of Darkness 2. There's a lot of these same themes popping up, like rape, impotent, impotent stuff, and even in Daughter of Darkness 2, there's like this weird syphilis joke it's like, this isn't fucking funny, but okay, we're going there. Um, yeah, so, so the comedy elements and Daughter of Darkness 2 are very strange. I know I'm talking about daughter of darkness too when i should be talking about brother of darkness but uh yeah so I, I like not too much to say on this one either but uh you know i'm trying to think which one i enjoyed more i think they're all kind of like daughter of darkness too and brother of darkness kind of in the same vein here um yeah they're both enjoyable this one had the happiest of endings and i did like anthony wong's character doing the right thing for once in one of these movies um but yeah so anyways if this sounds like it's up your alley if you're looking for more kind of uh hong kong kind of like cat three smut then it's here it's not as 
extreme as, as like some of the crazier ones like Untold Story or Bola Syndrome, but it has its fair share of, you know, sexual exploits and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that is Brother of Darkness. Okay, the last one from 1994 is The Romance of the Vampires. This is directed by Ricky Lau, who, or Ricky Liu, who directed Mr. Vampire. So obviously this guy, he directed the Mr. Vampire series and a bunch of other ones. He enjoys his vampires. So The Romance of Vampires is kind of like a drama, action, kind of, I guess, less horror, but it has vampires in it, so I checked it out for 94. Um, we have these kind of two timeless vampires that have seemed to have been together for years. Uh, the male vampire is a male and female. The male vampire is, is haunted by a past love that he lost control of and bit. Um, so uh, also the kind of storyline here as well is there's a blind prostitute who has like a, uh, a person that takes care of her that's madly in love with her that kind of like makes does her makeup and takes her to you know client to client and there's this like whole big like prostitution like place where they send male escorts and female escorts and it's very comedic and goofy kind of whole thing like that so um basically what happens is one day this uh you know the vampires will order male and female escorts to feed on and whatnot um they also live kind of lavishly and very kind of like i guess we'll say um in kind of the uh bourgeois or whatever kind of like lifestyle or whatever you know they're fancy they're fancy vampires because they've been around forever so one day this uh male vampire catches the um you know sees this blind woman and it looks just like a past love of his he becomes infatuated with her and kind of like at one point defends her against like a, a awful gang of baddies which is a really cool kung fu fight scene in this junkyard which uh has some crazy stuff going on anyways they start a relationship and we have the helper who's very upset with this and then we also have the female vampire who's very upset with this so we kind of have this weird i wouldn't say love quartet going on because only you know but a lot of jealousy and whatnot going on um, but yeah, so, uh, there's some sacrifices made, some true love moments made. The ending's touching with the vampires. I enjoyed that. Um, and the effects are fairly good too, although there's not extreme effects. We only have the one scene of Kung Fu or fight scenes and stuff like that in here. It's more like we do have the moments of hopping vampires, which, uh, the director is known for with Mr. Vampire, but it's not in the same kind of, it's not as action oriented as Mr. Vampire. And it's not as, you know, I guess I don't want to say whimsical or mythological, but it's, it seems to be more of a grounded world than Mr. Mr. Vampire, more of a world we're familiar with, more modern, that kind of deal. But anyways, I thought this one was decent. Um, like there is some steamy sex scenes, of course, that kind of focus on both both male and female bodies. Uh, yeah, and there's this like m like moment where like these awful like Johns like take advantage of the blind girl, where they like give her this weird ecstasy medicine. It's just like unpleasant as shit. Of course, that's all in these kind of Hong Kong movies. But uh, yeah, this one was decent. Uh, I enjoyed it for what it was, and it was an interesting look to see the director, Mr. Vampire, kind of tackle vampires in a different way and see a vampire movie from 1994 from hong kong so yeah uh like i said there's some weird goofy comedy as well it has a comedy in here too like where the female vampire had picked up on a male escort and uh, she goes to bite him and he reaches out and grabs her boobs and she's kind of like like taken over by ecstasy here and uh kind of as vampires are during sex or whatever so he's like hold their boobs he's like ah and let's go and she goes to bite him again so he keeps doing the it's really goofy and whatnot but that is uh the romance of the vampires hey guys we're here for blind spot this was your pick yeah what movie's your pick it's a maltese falcon yeah with peter Lorre. why'd you pick that up I, it was in my way. I don't know. It was not Actually, a, it was, was it your eyeline? I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. It's, with Peter Laurie, he's like fourth build. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> okay. So, uh, this is directed by John Huston, legendary director. He's also an actor. He's got one of the most iconic voices of all time. This was 41. 
which if you were to if you show me this, I would have guessed the fifties because the noir style and everything. But it's it's obviously way ahead of its time. It's a it's a beloved film. Well, no, no, I thought noir would be more like a thirties, forties. I forties, fifties. Four, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're getting the fifties, you're, you're getting into more, yeah, yeah, you know, right. the, the alien, you know. Yeah, but technology. still, it was earlier um, than you thought. This is earlier than I thought, only because I know that Peter Lorre came to America to escape Nazi, the rights of Nazis. So I figured, um, I thought that Peter Lorre kind of showed up in more American films like later in the forties. Um, but I think the Nazis came to power, like, what, 39 or something? I don't well, know. Hitler had his first run, and then it didn't really go as planned. And yeah. So anyways, uh, yeah, this has Humphrey Bogart, mm-hmm. uh, Cindy Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, uh, Elijah uh, Cook Jr., who's in a bunch of kind of film noir-style films. Who is the female interest in this film? Uh, what's her? I, I'm not too familiar with her as an actress. Yeah, I, I you know, beyond Humphrey Bogart and Peter Lorre, I... I can't remember anyone's like actor name yeah um, you're not big into like the actors and everything yeah right? i you know i i don't know certain actors um there are three female in this movie two i would say are like leads and, and another one's kind of like a like like a catalyst for you know starting some stuff um oh so anyway the plot of this film is uh it uh, start, This person approaches Humphrey Bogart and his agency of private eyes to kind of, uh, what is it, to follow around this guy? Uh, so this girl comes into their private eye office and she says, hey, my sister left from New York. Yeah. She moved to San Francisco with her boyfriend and nobody's able to reach her. Can, can you find her and make sure she's okay? The guy that she's dating is, like, kind of dangerous, you know, like po- possibly a criminal. So Peter Laurie and his partner, no, I'm no, sorry, no. Humphrey Bogart, Bogart and his, and his partner, partner. So his partner's put on it. His partner's murdered during the mm-hmm. whole ordeal, and it kind of puts Humphrey Bogart in the center of this murder trial. Right. So not murder trial, murder, murder case from the police. Officer. Yeah, murder investigation. Yeah. So what? So they get out there. Um, Humphrey Bogart's partner is deceased. Oh, one of the cops I should mention is Ward Bond, who's in The Searchers. I recognized him right away. He's got kind of a very memorable voice as well. Right. Um. So anyway, so, so one of the partners is deceased. Um, so the officers are like, you know, who, who killed your partner? What was he doing there? Like, you know, the police know that Humphrey Bogart's a private investigator. So well, Humphrey Bogart and obviously was a, used to be a police officer as well. You got to get that idea. Like, but have you ever watched possibly. a movie? Have you ever watched a movie where there's a private eye that did used to be a cop before he was a private eye? I don't think I ever have. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it's always the case. I, I, you know, I don't know if they, they hint at it. Do they? Him and Ward Bond have a relationship for sure. They well, him, be, him being an officer isn't relevant to the movie no. this way or that. Um, but anyways, no. So he, you know, Peter, or I'm sorry, Humphrey Bogart doesn't want to like you know explain what was going on, you know, because you know he has to you know protect his client's right. confidentiality. Um, well, it turns out that the or that the person that they were or he does tell them who his partner <laughs> this is was. The worst following. you've ever done. Well, well no, no. We, I, I just keep. Keep getting interrupted. Um, so, anyways, uh, turns out that the person that they thought killed um, Humphrey Bogart's partner is now found dead. So, police are like, "Okay, did you go kill the guy that killed your partner? Also, your partner's wife is into you. So, did you kill your partner? Like, like everybody thinks that Humphrey Bogart has been has killed both his partner and the person that his partner was supposed to be tailing." Um, 
And that's in like the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, it's really complicated. Right. And, and more people start to show up. Uh, Peter Lorre mm-hmm. shows up and he wants to hire him for something, but uh, he wants to pat him down. He gets really crazy. He notices kind of this this quiet, small guy following him in Elijah mm-hmm. uh, Cook Jr. And he notices that not everyone's telling the truth. That's kind of a film noir. You can never trust anybody. Right. So everybody's kind of like not really trustworthy. They all have secrets, even Bogart. Uh, Bogart's yeah. dialogue is absolutely priceless. You know, he's very witty. He's very sharp-tongued. And it's, he doesn't like, he never, uh, he's very straight how he delivers it. He's not one of these guys that knows he said something funny like Bruce Willis and kind of is like, hey, he's just very like witty and almost to the point where it would piss off somebody if you're talking to him in that vein. Um, there's a great scene where it kind of, it kind of reveals later on that there's more people pulling the strings. One of Cindy Greenstreet, who um, I'm not too familiar with. The wind's crazy today, guys, yeah. so if we lose power, that's what happened. But uh, he, he's just a great character actor that I'd heard his name a bunch of times, but he's in movies that were before my time, before I, not that I wasn't interested, never got a chance to see. But he, he's tremendous in this film. And oh, he's yeah. got a lot of great one-liners where he's like, oh, you're truly a character. His his back and forth with uh, Bogart is excellent. But all these people are tied into looking for this this uh, this priceless thing called the Maltese Falcon, and they mm-hmm. kind of explain what that is. Um but I, I was getting to this point where there's a scene with um, Elijah uh, Cook Jr., who is kind of just like a goon. And you don't really expect to see this kind of performance out of a goon like that. But they give this moment where he kind of does this emotional thing where he like completely has like this meltdown. And it's a really great scene. I love that. What, 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 what scene does he have the meltdown in? Um, where they kind of decide what they're going to do with the two bodies and who's going to be pinned for these. Yeah, and yeah. You can see in his eyes where it's like those intense moments where mm-hmm. somebody's getting really emotional and angry, but they're not necessarily sad, but th- their eyes start to water from intensity. They do that in I Saw the Devil, too. He's like, fuck, when I get really intense, right. I cry. And that, that does happen sometimes. Ba- basically, what, what ends up happening is Peter Lorre, or I'm sorry, Humphrey Bogart, um, you know, he he basically finds out that these three separate people were all kind of working together to find yeah. this lost relic from like the Crusade times or something, Knights Templar, yada yada. It, it's like it's a MacGuffin story, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Um, and so basically, so you have uh, his, his original client, the girl. You have Peter Laurie, who's like um a goon kind of like yeah kind of like a hired goon I, I feel like he might be a little bit more higher up than i feel like he has interest in the MacGuffin, right personal and, interest too. right and then um obviously uh the sydney I green think, street yeah he's called fat man in this i think <laughs> they, actually they, they reference him as fat man they, they, so peter laurie and the girl call him fat man um his actual name is like like budman or something it's like, no it, it's it's something like it, it might as well be Fatman because it's like 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 bar guts or something. Barman or it's weird. It, You're right. Yeah. It is. Uh... Um. It's it's clearly yeah. Um. Anyways, so so he finally gets them all together. Um. Humphrey Bogart really just finally pieces everything. Like okay, here's where the Falcons at. They finally get it, and in order for Humphrey Bogart to give him the the Falcon because he ends up with it in his possession, he says, look. I'll get you the Falcon, but you got to get this murder off of me. We need a fall guy. And that's where that scene comes in. And the movie's resolved. Um, 
I don't know. Kind of just spoiled the whole movie, but we didn't really review this. This is more of a rundown of what to do. But when you come to a movie like this, like I'm sure everybody that knows of it has seen it, so it's hard to it's hard to talk about. Um, there's another John Huston movie that we really should watch called The Treasure of Sierra Madre that I with Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I I'm not like this is like this is kind of hard for us to talk about these kind of movies because we don't have we weren't alive during the time and we don't have any a- a- expert knowledge on this kind of subject right. or anything like that. But as far as a film is concerned, I mean it kept me vested the entire time i was super intrigued i love the acting i love the dialogue the dialogue is very good the back and forth between the characters is excellent like the uh like i said bogart delivers dialogue like no one else like if somebody was talking to you like that you would be like this is kind of like not i know that people always say like when the the before like what the 60s kind of renaissance acting like all the acting felt weird like because when i was a kid i'd pop into old movie or something and see it on tv i'm like why is everybody acting like an alien but now mm-hmm. when i watch it i feel like it's not as strange like i understand the acting better and i feel like it's not as weird like i, I feel like it's more natural almost sometimes than some of the over not able to say overacting nowadays but it's different it's a different style and i i understand it and i never find it cheesy or corny or anything like that there like when it comes to, like the acting in these movies i one is i i don't know this is just how people talked back in the day. Um, obviously, they have, like, their different, like, euphemisms and things like that. Like, Humphrey Bogart, he talks incredibly quick. Uh, much quicker than what, like, a character like Peter Lorre or Sidney, is it Green Street? Yeah. Um, are talking. Um, well, they're characters, too. They're, they're like, the, they always kind of play similar characters. characters. Like you know, Humphrey do. Bogart says, like, he just has, like, like the weird sayings, like, I love that. Stuff. Like, yeah, you know, like, like and stuff like that. They yeah, all like, have like those. you're in the pension and you're gonna throw you in the drink. Like, I'm like, what, 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 what? Um, river, don't the right stuff like that. But yeah, but I'm better at dialogue like that. I, right. I, I think I follow that stuff a little better than you sometimes. But there's also also the issue of like how sound was recorded back yeah. then well, we know too. That. Um, and you know when you're watching a lot of like the stuff from like 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 the. 30s and 40s Everybody's up to the 50s flower plant talking well, well it, it's because the um, mic's in there yeah yeah well it's, it's how the mic is recorded yeah. how it sounds like it doesn't pick up like high tones and low tones um and then like the the playback speed can be off you know and like if you've ever like watched like if you ever bought like a foreign vhs and like put it into your vcr player you notice like 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 the sound might it's not off, but it's it's off. You know what I mean? Doesn't you wouldn't be able to play it? NTSC and Paul are not compatible. They they, they do some weird stuff. Oh, they're not compatible. You're, you have to have a special player for it. But sometimes the DVDs, yeah. Sometimes like the the the, the conversion rates off. Right. Uh, but uh, like I said, like yeah, this is a, this is a very enjoyable film. But the one thing that really struck me that I loved mm-hmm. was. This, I don't want to sound like a chauvinistic asshole here, but the the main character, the female lead, she's so unlikable. Mm-hmm. Like she's an unlikable character, and she's like the love interest, but she's so untrustworthy. And they they make her untrustworthy right at the very beginning of the film, right? And at the very end, like you know, she's the femme fatale. And I said that I was like, she's the femme fatale. You're like, I don't know about that. And then well, and then I the mean, end of the movie, it's like. Oh, oh. Like when I think femme fatale, I think of like a certain character, like Ava Gardner or something. Yeah, you Black Widow. Um, she, I wouldn't call her necessarily a femme fatale, but she is trying to use, I, I think, sex to kind of like. Well, a lot of those seem like safe. the damsel in distress, but they're right. really, you know, um, she's a, a sheep and a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. She's she's definitely a manipulator. Um, well, everybody is in this. Everybody's a, a manipulator in this. Um. But yeah, so she's thinking like, well, if if I 
she she wants to be she wants Humphrey Bogart to shield her from you know the fallout, whether it be the police, uh, the fat guy, Peter Laurie, whoever it is, um, and she wants him to take the the. The, to risk his life and his career right. instead you, of her. You know, and she's not going to be upfront about him about everything that's happening. And eventually she does start working with him towards the end. I think once she realizes that Humphrey Bogart might be her best pick to keep herself safe, and then, of course, he sells her out to the police. It's like, look, you haven't been upfront well, with me. He the explains inst- himself perfectly well. Yeah, so. and it, it, it's a fantastic scene. Like, you know, I can't trust you. Um, you'll have that over on me and if for you the have rest that of over my life. on me you can turn it you can manipulate right you can, and I was just like I love that and I know people are like well that's not what I'm saying. she's like like the thing is she's smart mm-hmm. she's very intelligent so it's not like somebody's portrayed as just a moron she's very like they're all like everybody right. in the end gets screwed except everybody. except Bogart Bogart comes out on top I mean even his partner he didn't care for ends up screwed I mean almost Bogart seems like he kind of let <laughs> like I mean him and his private eye partner both knew and his, his private eye partner I like what he says he's like even if we didn't like each other I owe it to him as a partner that's right. what partners do They and it's just like all that stuff is great and I like him a lot oh he's fantastic I like him a lot and everything I've Jeez, like I said, we we almost lost power too. So I'm glad I got through this weekly mm-hmm. video without losing power. It would not been fun, but he, he's just great. Was it to be or to not, or that one as well, where he's paired up with, um, geez, what is that that character actor who's like, gee, oh boy, that guy. That's not that's a bad Jimmy Stewart, but this I guy, thought that was uh, done. <laughs> <laughs> what's the difference? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. But uh, geez, I can't believe I forgot this. Walter Brennan. That's the Walter. That one he's very good in too, where he's on the ship. That's fantastic and. Uh, yeah, so everything I've seen so far, I loved. I know that we got to get uh, um, Casablanca down soon, too. Yeah. So I know that's a Patreon pick that somebody picked for me, and I have to watch it next week. Uh, so I, if I had to rate this, I'm going to give it four and a half out of five right off the cuff. I mean, just, I mean, it's a classic. It's like, no, when, so this movie is like so, such widely regarded and loved. It's just like, who gives a shit what somebody else's rating is? But I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely watch this out. Like, for me, it's, it's easily a four star movie. It might be a bit higher. Yeah. Um, it's relatively easy to follow. Um, you know, a lot of times if he's like, like, you know, whodunit movies, um, <laughs> You know, I think that they try to throw in a lot of twists. And this movie doesn't necessarily try to, like, do that. It doesn't try to mislead you. Um, it And it doesn't, like, necessarily keep information from you. You know what I mean? Like, everything, I think, comes kind of comes across in, like, a logical, chronological order. Yeah. Um, the reveals aren't... Nothing's baffling. Nothing's, like, an ex machina. Nothing's out of left, right. left field. Nothing's all. out of left field. Yeah. Everything really you can, just... You can call it, too. Yeah, you, you can call it. And, and, you know, stuff falls into place when it should fall into place. Like, you're figuring it out along with Humphrey Bogart. And it makes sense, and it checks out. And Peter Lorre is fantastic, and he does get beat up twice. <laughs> I like that scene where he beats him up, and then, like, he gives him his gun back, and then he, he's like... Now, Patch, he doesn't get it, Bogart. It's like, whatever. And at this point, I realize you're not going to kill me. You're just right. a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> um, I, I did like that um, at the end, all of it is for nothing. Like, that's exactly how it is. Like, when you hear people, man, they killed that guy for a pair of shoes or killed that guy at the register for mm-hmm. six ninety five. It's kind of like that here, too. A lot of crimes are committed, and there's no real goal. Inside. I mean, you're fucked. You don't get shit. Well, you know, and, and the, the, I think what's interesting about this is... Yeah, I think that the girl's kind of like a seedy person, um, and but Green Street and uh, Lori, like I think they are actually archaeologists. But if you look at how archaeology was done back, you know, 
late 1800s, early 1900s, like, they're pretty much criminals. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, just you think, in Egyptian places. And stuff. No, but, but for yeah. real, though, like, you know, and that stuff's carried over to today about all these artifacts in different museums. Like, these belong to, you know, the people in the countries where you found them. You all just came in, stole it, and... and uh, they got that mummy's curse now. It kind of yeah, stopped I guess now they got the stuff. mummy's curse. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but, but, no, I mean, that's really how archaeology was done then and to some extent today you know i mean uh, and anything you know in the interest of science and understanding history but you know you destroy half the shit you're trying to get uh next week is my pick and uh i'm not going to pick maltese falcon i think that's cheating you're going to have to watch two movies next week because it's a patreon falcon this week yeah, but it's a, not my pick. It's a Patreon pick. I can't pick it. Oh, you said you're not going to pick Maltese Falcon. I can't pick it for the pick. You see what I'm saying? It's a Patreon pick. I need to... I can't double We watched Maltese it. Falcon last week. You said you can't Oh, pick. I meant Casablanca. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Can't watch this movie again. I can't watch <laughs> I just can't watch this movie again. <laughs> I would. I'd rather... So, uh, Casablanca, we can't. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Because it's I, a Patreon pick. And, and plus, can't. it's December. So I'm going to watch it this week, no matter what. Mm. If you're here for it, you are. If not, I'll do it myself, unfortunately. What is it? Um, no, I mean Casablanca. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This one I'm going to pick. It's it's December, and mm. I want to get my December horror pick in. And it's one I haven't seen in years. And it's one I don't think you've seen. It's 1974. It's directed by Bob Clark, who did The Christmas Story. He did Death Dream. He did um, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. It's going to be Black Christmas from 1974, the one that a lot of people say is truly the first slasher, even though I don't follow that school because people are like, this one had slasher out, that proto-slasher, when the fuck does slasher start? Kind of like, when did Gialli start? It's like, who gives a shit? It's just like, you know. But Black Christmas, it's got uh, Olivia Hussey in here, uh, Margaret Kidder, fucking John Saxton. It's shot in Canada. It's a famous movie. I never heard, oh, I've heard of it. I'm not thinking about it. So, should be good to watch. I haven't seen it in... 20 years. Not seen Black Christmas in 20 years. It's, uh, that's not the one with like the guy that saw his... Um, that's Silent Night, Deadly Night. He saw his parents get killed by a Santa Claus and his grandpa yelled at him. Which is the one where he saw his like, oh, mom Oh, Christmas Evil. Christmas Evil. Okay. <laughs> You've seen Christmas Evil, but not, not Black Christmas, right? I don't know which one I've seen. I don't think I've seen... I don't think you have either. I, don't, I can't imagine John Saxon in a Christmas movie. He's not very Christmas-like. He's a cop in it. He's always a cop, is What's that movie we watched where, um, what's his name? It was in a mall. Grizzly Adams was in a mall. Elf? Was that what we were watching? Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I watched Elf this week. But you've seen it before, right? And there's just more secondhand smoke in that movie than I've ever seen in my life. I, yeah, I can't. Yeah. yeah. He's not even, oh, are you talking about Phantom of the Mall? No, not Phantom He's not in that, but there's a mall. No, it... Yeah, it's Elves, with Dan Haggerty, he's like a mall Santa. Dan Haggerty, yeah. yeah, and... Why are we talking about Elves? Well, because I thought that's what... That's, that's not Black watch. Christmas. Black Christmas is a, a well-respected movie. Elves... Isn't John Saxon in that movie, though? No. He doesn't play an officer? No. How many movies does John Saxon play an officer in? A lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nightmare. Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. 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 I was going to say Nightmare Before Christmas. And then he but... plays a drunk in Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And then he was just drunk in Cannibal Apocalypse. But Wait, he's, uh, in, he's in three, two? Yeah. Oh. He's in one, three, and seven. Oh, we watched seven just a few. Yeah. Okay. He plays himself, kind of. We're yeah, done. Weird. Yeah, yeah, we're done. We're done. We're done. Bye. Come closer. I want to talk to you.
I'm going to tell you an astounding story. The story of the Maltese falcon. 600 years the falcon has carried the mystery of a fabulous wealth under its grotesque wings. I could tell you a thousand tales of the men and women who have hunted this evil bird. But every story has the same ending. Murder. Listen to these incredible people, all consumed by their passionate greed for the Maltese falcon. What have you ever given me beside money? Have you ever given me any of your confidence, any of the truth? Haven't you tried to buy my loyalty with money and nothing else? What else is there I can buy you with? I won't play the sap for you. I haven't lived a good life. I've been bad. Worse than you could know. We were talking about a lot more money than this. There are more of us to be taken care of now. Well, that may be, but I've got the falcon. You may have the falcon. We certainly have you. I've taken a lot of riding from you, I'm gonna take. Get up and shoot it out. Stop it, the police will be here any minute. Now talk. Oh, how can you accuse me of such a terrible... This isn't the time for that schoolgirl act. We're both of us sitting under the gallows. Let's get into these questions, comments, all that good stuff. And uh, what was the question of the week? I basically asked you one movie not on Blu-ray or streaming, uh, horror film. So then we have some uh, Zamy uh, Adams, just discovered your channel, great stuff, subbed. Thank you very much. Ken Coakley, there are some horror movies that haven't had much by way of distri distribution, such as The Haunted House of Horrors, which features Frankie Avalon from the Beach Party movies in the 60s, as well as The Million Eyes of Sumaru, and most famously appeared in the film version of Grease. In the early 70s, there was a horror comedy called Arnold that I liked a lot. Most of the rare movies that didn't make it to home video or streaming are exploitation movies for kids. When I was a kid in the early 70s, there was a, were kiddie matinees that were mind blowers such as The Wonderful Land of Oz, as well as a lot of Santo, Blue Demon, and Mil Amascara's films that I wish would come with English subtitles. I know that uh, Haunted House of Horror um, actually got a Blu-ray release over in the UK, which I did pick up. And it was directed by the guy... Oh, geez, Michael Armstrong did that? Who did uh, Mark of the Devil? So Claire Bear, cry, little sister. I forgot I picked this one. <laughs> but she, she puts the saxophone little emojis. Ponytail, baby oiled up, sax man is iconic. 
He's, he's running for president. I'm going to vote for him. So then we have Isimicio. I agree the characters of Tailgate made stupid decisions. It was one of those movies where I was rooting for the antagonist the whole time. The scene where he confronts the mother was badass, though. Some parts of the medium scared the scared me shitless. New Candyman wasn't bad at all. I like the spin on this one. Now we manifest a vehicle for community rather than an individual. Ha ha, yes. Jeremy, December is a time for bird movies. <laughs> for question of the week, honestly, Kim, Kim uh, Key Duke's entire filmography needs to be on Blu-ray. Many of them aren't available on streaming and have had limited blue releases. So only a couple titles that gained even a regular A uh, region A release, but believe they're long out of print by now. So, okay. The Maniac. I can't stand when the only thing moving the plot forward in a horror movie is characters making stupid decisions. A couple mistakes are fine, but making the characters too stupid to jive, to live is just lazy writing to me. This is him talking about ta when I talk about Tailgate. And whenever someone defends unlikable characters with the we want to see them die argument, I say true, but I, I still have to spend a movie with these people. And if I'm so annoyed with them that I'm just waiting for them to die, it makes the movie a slog. I agree. I have no problem with unlikable characters. They have to be interesting. If they don't interest me because they're not acting like real human beings, then bye. Um, he continues, A horror movie that's not on Blu-ray or streaming is the last horror movie, not to be confused with the last horror film. It's my favorite found footage movie about a serial killer who is taped over another horror film so people will watch his life as a serial killer. Now I've had to add Stingray to my watch list. Thanks, another good recommendation. Yeah, uh, what is that? I, the last horror film, the last horror movie is a good flick. I've watched it a couple times, the British flick for sure. That one's, uh, I think a lot of people should watch that. I think it's kind of underrated. Zach Nolan, no Blu-ray of Lamora, Kenny and Company, The House with Laughing Windows, and Helter Skelter. 81 Oak Ridge, there was a Grindhouse movie homage featuring Misfits American Nightmare, and I remember three scenes sticking out. The Snake Girl from Werewolves on Wheels, Christina Lindbergh's slow-motion shotgun death at the guy at his house in a thriller, a cruel picture, and the shooting like an AR-15 during a car chase. I looked everywhere trying to find the name of that movie. LOL, I finally found out it's Stingray. Thank you. Awesome. Stingray's a lot of fun, and I think that Check it out, man. I had a blast with it. Clint Ingsinger. No way. I never win stuff. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. I'll send it out ASAP. Uh, Robert uh, Prude, uh, Prudhomme Jr. I totally agree with, on you with your review of Tailgate. I'm normally very easy to please, but that movie drove me crazy. I couldn't stand the father. He was such an unpleasant character. I just kept making stupid decisions after decisions. I was actually getting so upset watching it. LOL. It's too bad because I kind of liked the villain a lot. It was one of those movies where I kept saying, oh, really? Are you serious? Oh, well, they can't all be winners. Great video as always. I felt the same way. Uh, Barnabas Collins. I think I'll go with the movie Cheerleader Camp. And one I just watched the other night for the first time on DVD was Tear Track, an anthology movie with John Ritter in it. I do have that on DVD. I have both those on DVD. Um, what the Flick? I always tell people that the original Candyman is the only movie to really have scared me. I seen the new one in theaters and overall liked it, but I hated the ending. I get what's going on in the world, but I didn't like how the police were more evil than the main villain. I felt the point was very made very cheaply, uh, clearly that the can't, cops suck when they killed the Candyman in the beginning, but then they do the same thing at the end. I feel like the new Candyman is a good movie that could have been great. Sorry for going on and on. That's all right. Adrian J. Smith, two hours and 16 minutes. I'm sure you get more YouTube track if it, this was individual movie reviews. Never mind. You know best. I don't know best. <laughs> I do what I want, but I don't know best. I mean, if I knew best, if I wanted a lot of traffic, which I appreciate, I mean, because you're probably right, but if I wanted a lot of traffic, I would do the out and abouts. I would just do unboxing and updates and stuff like that i would do trailer reactions i don't watch those videos myself and i don't have much interest in trailer reactions and shit like that i'm like i don't i don't even barely watch trailers unless i'm in the theater i don't care if you do i do occasionally but it's not something i really seek after it's just kind of things like i should i could break them up but i also like the idea of people 
tuning in to watch a review of, you know, The Lost Boys and then seeing a review for Twilight Dinner and just being like, huh, maybe I would like Twilight Dinner. You know what I mean? I like to mix it up. It's kind of a weird smorgasbord playlist deal. Everything's different. Maybe you're here for the update, but you stick around for the questions or maybe you, you see a movie like Stingray and you never heard of it because you came for something else or I, I like to mix it up with new releases, you know, movies sent to me to review, old movies, stuff not on, just mix it up. It's fun for me and I hope that a lot of other people kind of have that same kind of ADHD mentality when they just kind of want to see a bunch of different things. Also, I put audio versions up for everybody, the the podcast versions, because podcasts are kind of taking over more for more than the YouTube versions, and I want people to, you know, look Mr. Park up on Spotify if you don't want to watch the video. Look him up on, uh, you know, Stitcher or something like that, because uh, I, I don't know how long YouTube will be around, and I'm getting older, so I don't want to be on camera as much. I know, the vanity of an old man. Um, but that's just kind of, I understand what you're saying. I could break all of them up there, but when you like put out several videos out a week, you know, they might, one might get a thousand views, but one might get 10. And I, I, I like to think that maybe people stick around for a couple of movies they wouldn't normally stick around for and, and eventually check them out too. I don't know. But it's just the way it is, and it's the way I would listen to a, a show. I'd rather hear it as one shebang, a whole presented show, than one little review. It's not my thing. I don't, I don't watch one little review of shows. I know, I know a lot of people do though. And today it's more about fast paced stuff. So then we have, uh, Ricky Richards. Congrats on the contest. Whomever won Steven McNulty 29. I was so close. Congrats, Clint Paul Nealon. Uh, fuck it. I'm going to give you three films, not streaming on Blu-ray one Ireland's answer to the thing isolation, which I did watch for 2005. Good film Two, whore from the WW one trenches, which we don't get enough of loads of WW two, but not one death watch, which is a cool film as well. And three subway creature features. Creep creep is also cool. And I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing of creep is one of those ones. I saw most of it and I don't know if I had to leave or something, but uh, it's been a long time. I should check that one out. I don't think they're streaming, but are deaf, not on blu-ray Cortez expansion. There it is. My weekly dose of awesome. Thank you. Uh, then we have Ken Coakley again. What's your favorite non-horror movie? Well, I'd probably be The Wild Bunch. I was answered before that. Mine is Godfather 1 and Godfather Part 2, considering them to be one film. Both movies transcend the gangster subgenre and come across as a... Uh, Far, uh, what is that? Fami- Family Chronicle. Another that I love is in... La- La- Lope in with the Godfathers once upon a time in America. I was lucky enough. It's misspelling here. Lump in, I think, is what he's going. I was lucky enough to see that in the theater before Warner Brothers hired the editor of Police Academy 2 to cut it to three and a half hours to two hours. Yeah, sounds rough. Briefly, to get back to rare movies, not on video or streaming, I have a subscription to the Boston Globe. The reason for that is that I look at the archives of vintage movie times. There are so many movies that were around in the 60s and 70s that would be impossible to bring a quarter of a film's to home video. When I was a kid, I would get the Boston Globe every Wednesday. Movies were released on the uh, on that day until the late 70s when they started opening on Fridays. I would look to see what was in the drive-in so I could go to, the, to that weekend. Joseph L. Zumbergian, in honor of the holiday season, Elves, Troy Haworth, A Cold Night's Death, 1973. Alan Ricks seconds it. Justin R. LaFleur, The Midnight Hour, the best Halloween movie ever. Love Midnight Hour. Uh, Edward Payson, uh, Gonjasaurus Rex. Okay. Loyal Poof, The On Scene. Somebody post a link for The On Scene uh, that it is on Blu-ray, of course. Um, guys, remember, Blu-ray.com is your friend. So next time Severn or Vinegar Syndrome ask a question, what are some movies you'd like to see on Blu-ray? Um, don't just post whatever movie comes to your head. Go to Blu-ray.com, type it in. Oh, it's on Blu-ray. This was released a year ago by Screen Factory. Just type it in, Blu-ray.com. Com's your friend, not hating on you. Um, um, what is it? Uh, a loyal ploof. It happens. 
Aramazola, The Dentist 1 and 2, at least not on Blu-ray in the U.S. as far as I know, and I haven't seen streaming anywhere, but can't say with 100% certainty. Steve Van Meter Post, it is streaming. Um, oh, not streaming, but no U.S. Blue. So nobody ever reads the questions 100%. Steven Van Meter letting people know what is out there. Jenny Murray, Vampire Clay. Salvador Funkenstein, quickest title answer to your question, water power. Oh, yeah, and he puts a winky face. Yep, for sure. But anyway, do really like the question because I do seek out things I've never heard of. That's what led me to your channel anyways. And yes, you have pointed me to things I would never heard of otherwise, like found. I looked to underrated lists slash countdown lists. have found a quite few oddball titles on Tumblr. I think not enough people have seen Lamora, End of the Line, Dead End, May, and Cemetery Man because they still aren't on blue. But they need to be with... Um, I'm blue yet, but they need to be with features. I think Freaked is long out of print too. Some of those bad ladder Fulci titles that haven't been released uh, again at all. Lastly, I trust your opinion on things and glad you dug uh, Philodod, which needs a, a better release too. See the see the power's flicker and it's windy out there, guys. Might lose power. Might have to cut this short. Uh, Sean Bruckner, Salvador Funkestein, end of the line is very underrated in my opinion. Cemetery Man desperately needs one. Um... We kind of go. Uh, Jason Hammond, I came here to say water power. Um, and then Salvador wants me to do a top 10 underrated underseen horrors. And I feel like it's it's a hard subject to do because it's too broad. I feel like I right when I was done, I'd miss like 10 and I'd be annoyed with myself. David Gibson, Cemetery Man is on blue, but the transfer is subpar in my opinion. And then uh, Muller uh, Larnett, Spider Labyrinth. Cool movie. That really need to be put out on official release in Blu-ray since this is one of the scariest and most underrated Jello movies ever. John Soloway, Hunter's Blood. Loves Hunter's Blood. Been begging for a Blu-ray. Never even got a DVD release. Michael Sinat, Fatal Games. David Gibson. It's not horror, but it's adjacent. Visitor Q. My biggest, two biggest Blu-rays or 4K wishes is this and Happiness. Man, I would love Visitor Q. I, I mean, I would call Visitor Q horror. I don't know what other subgenre would have that fucking thing. David Gibson had made that as well, although you can find it streaming. Jason Fetters, William Griffey Impulse. The Blu-ray should be coming out soon. Very happy to see that. John Boone, I remember watching this, The Unseen on Turner with my mom during uh, Afternoon Summer, maybe 84. Love that film. It is on a Blu-ray. Vincent uh, Perinia, I'd never be able to say this Italian name, Perinia. Aside from Silverseas Blu-rays, uh, bootleg, bootleg Blu-rays, Fright Night Part 2. Joe Grisano, uh, I think it's on Amazon Prime. They go back and forth. It's no longer there. And then Barry O'Connell, The Keep. And uh, Vincent posts that it is streaming and it pops up here and there. Jeremy White, um, Satanic Attraction and Ritual of Death. Ignacio Hernandez, Flowers of Flesh and Blood. On Blu-ray? I'm just kidding. Uh, Dan Carroll, uh, Meet the Feebles. Charles Meacham, End of the Line, Pool, Banshee Chapter, Altered. Uh, Altered's a great movie. So is uh, End of the Line, Pool too. I never saw Banshee Chapter. I'll have to check it out. Uh, Tom Horsball, Spider Lambert is my most wanted release. Great Italian horror film. It is. It's good. It's been a while for me to see it. Sergio uh, Magalani's um, Black Christmas 2006. Jamal Potter, Fright Night 2, Jesse Ann, Cabin by the Lake. Uh, Madeline Deering, she loves a Cabin by the Lake as well. Um, then we have, uh, where are we going? Ryan Sexton, The Kiss, Friday Night 2, Nightlife, Mr. Frost, good choices. Eric Bindle, uh, Pervula, Pervula, I think maybe he means Pervella, Pervulva, which I don't know, but Pervella I do know, and Perf Parlor. Both uh, one of those is the Alex Chandon flick. Belinda McKay, Alligator 1980. We're getting a 4K, so that's awesome. Daryl, uh, Kurt Jensen, Martyrs, and Mr. Frost with the, the Jeff Goldblum movie. Stephen McGivern, uh, Martyrs, basically post a link to the UK Blu-ray. Robert Cruz, The Man Eater, 79. I think it finally got a DVD release last year. Viva made on demand, but no Blu-ray and no streaming. Uh, Stefan Sin, Sweet Tooth. I don't know that one. 
Megan uh, Elaine, Stephen King's Rose Red, cannot find it anywhere. Daryl Spears, Blood Beach. I love the tagline on Blood Beach. Uh, Cassidy Botwin, Fatal Games. Peter England, I'm not sure, but The Seventh Victim. Uh, Spielberg, Something Evil. Michael Mann's The Keep. Fright Night 2. John Landis, Innocent Blood. Innocent Blood is on Blu-ray from Warner Archive. Uh, Morgan Suzek, Ghost Dance, 1980. Shane Glass, Bullies, and Brothers in Arm. I love both these and definitely want a Blu-ray release. And then Madeline uh, Deering puts Pin, A Plastic Nightmare. Jeremy's favorite movie. <laughs> Ken uh, Meehan, Death Weekend. Jordan Bibby, The Keep. Mark Bessinger, Nocturna. Granddaughter of Dracula, Murder in the Blue Room, Arnold, A Taste of Evil, Wicked Wicked, Tag the Assassination Game. Is Murder in the Blue Room the one that uh, Cauldron Films is putting out? Is it? I'm not 100% sure. Allison Rudolph, Dead Alive, aka Brain Dead, Greg Watson. It's on Blu ray though, Lionsgate, but you're going to pay an arm and a leg to get a good copy. It's over 100 bucks on Amazon now. So, uh, Belladonna, Killer Condom. Um, and uh, Loner Leo just says, you got to Candyman. I think there's a um, language barrier here. Ron Ford, The Crawling Brain. Jay Ranella in The Shadow of the Kilimanjaro. Mark Jones, all toe tag except August Underground because it's already on Blu-ray. Uh, George Malone, Trick or Treat. And then Rye Guy. Always got these long answers, Rye Guy. Just about everything is streaming these days, no matter, especially if you have a fire stick. Oh, there's always a way around it, and it's a, it's a way to get it regardless, whether streaming, Blu-ray, DVD, or even bootleg. Come hell or high water, there are there are ways. Some con, uh, consist of paying out the ass for it, but all depends on what you want and how far you're willing to go. Other than that, there are too many to name, honestly. I don't think the others even had a Blu-ray release for that matter, not to my knowledge anyways. It did, I believe. I have it, I think. Then he has Clown House, Below, Mothman Prophecies, Red Eye, Bug, Wolf Creek, Rampage 87. Good film. Uh, Cube Films, Lost Boys 4K, Near Dark 4K. I know I'm missing a million and one others. Too many that I don't even have DVD releases, let alone Blu-ray or even 4K. Too many that I don't even have a sort of proper treatment, even after all this time. I feel you. But basically, we, we I wanted to ask this question because Moods always says if it ain't on Blu-ray, nobody talks about it. And I feel that way. If it ain't streaming or on Blu-ray, nobody talks about it. Colin Rogers, Snake Sisters, 1984, is a really wild, surreal, probably more of a mix of fantasy and, than, than, and horror than straight horror, but one that will stick with you in a, and after the credits scene rolls. Mondo Macabre was going to put it out, and it was included in one of those coming soon previews they have at the beginning of the disc. However, last I heard two years back it is that it wasn't happening any longer. Keep up the great work as always, Dave. Thank you. Um, you too. And then Shay Sherinette, I used to spend hours as a teenager researching movies, especially horror. Not everyone that has much interest in movies, haha. <laughs> Not everyone has that much interest in movies, haha. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I can see how people turn into to streaming. I have a pretty massive collection, probably 2,800 and counting. However, I find that recently I've turned more to streaming, neg uh, neglecting my collection. Uh, I probably do the same. So uh, I guess um, this question probably not going to get very many answers because not many perverts out there like myself. Maybe people just don't have the pervert card yet. But uh, anyways, question of the week. What is your favorite uh, pinky film? Your Japanese pinky film? Or it can, I guess they have to be Japanese to be pinky film. So what is your favorite pinky film? Yeah, and I guess we're going to hop into that update. Okay, guys, this update's ridiculous. My Vinegar Syndrome Black Friday order's in here. Kino order's in here. Some of my Severin Black Friday order's in here. And then a couple other ones. So let's get into this. First up is the Krampus 4K, the Naughty Cut. Um, I was hoping that maybe this would have an alternative ending, maybe a little bit more violence. I, I don't necessarily know if that's the case. But uh, anyways, uh, I, I love this movie, so having it on 4K is not uh, not not something that I'm unhappy about regardless. Uh, Michael Doherty, very fun movie. Enjoyed the hell out of it. Been a while since I watched it. Got a 4K here of Invasion of the Body Snatchers from Kino. 
1978 remake. I've not watched this in a long time either. Philip Kaufman did this one. I always remember liking this. Had a tremendous cast. Uh, Donald Sutherland, uh, Veronica Cartwright, Brooke Adams, Jeff Goldblum is in here, Leonard Niboy. Just a very cool movie. Look forward to checking it out again. Then we have some more from the Kino Sale. Uh, Arabian Adventure with Christopher Lee, the best ever. Oh, Peter Cushing's also in here. Mickey Rooney. I didn't know they were all in there. So that that's very entertaining. I'm sure I'll enjoy this one. Always uh, Kevin Connor who did those... Um, what is it? Those Doug McClure like giant monster the like, dinosaur movies. I believe he did those as well. Um, yeah, so very cool. Uh, then we have. Didn't he uh, even do uh, Motel Hell? If I'm not mistaken. Then we have the Spider Woman Strikes Back, which is, I believe, kind of a universal horror film. This is a sequel, though. Um, I think the first one was more of a film noir. Um, I think this one's more, I guess, more horror oriented. It's not in like the canon, like you know, Frankenstein movies, but I think Universal did put this one out. So at one point, so. Then we have Mad Dog and Glory by John Nodding, starring Robert De Niro, Uma Thurman, Bill Murray. Also has David Caruso in here. I think Mike Starr is in here, but Tom Tolles is in here. I've seen this years back. I enjoy it. Uh, it definitely feels like a lot of people would say, you know, De Niro and Bill Murray's roles are pretty much switched, but uh, seeing De Niro and Bill Murray act together is definitely worth it. Um, and I like the different kind of, you know, having uh, Bill Murray kind of play the mobster is very cool. And then we have My Science Project, which I've never seen. John Stockwell, Dennis Hopper, Fisher Stevens. This should be pretty fun. Uh, yeah, uh, looks looks like it'll be entertaining. Uh, 80s flick for sure, 85. And then we have The Mad Doctor, another kind of horror-oriented one from Kino. Uh, yeah, never seen this one. Basil Rathbone is in there. Uh We have Vera Cruz with Burt Lancaster, Gary Cooper. I know... Uh, um, Charles Bronson and Ernest Borgnine are in here as baddies, so that should be a lot of fun. I love Burt Lancaster, so should enjoy checking this one out again. Or I've never seen it, so check it out for the first time. Then we have Shadows Land. Now this one I will enjoy checking out again by Michael Winner, Charles Bronson, Jack Palant, Simon Oakland's in this movie. There's a lot of good cast in here. A uh, bunch of good goons in here. Uh, lo love this one. Yeah, this is a lot of fun. Kind of those movies where it's like a group of people are hunting down one guy and uh, that one guy is going to be a lot tougher than you fucking think. It's Charles Bronson. Made a mistake. Then we have Faust. Um, at least this is Faust, yeah. Uh, it says Fault on there, but it's but it's spelled in that. Uh, Kino Classics here. Black and white, I believe, silent film. So pick this up when I get a chance. Then we have Creep Show Season 2 on Blu-ray. Got this during the Target Buy 2 Get 1, along with The Krampus, which was relatively good priced. So, yeah. Uh, I believe I watched Season 2. Uh, I've not watched Season 3 yet, so I, I've been before. I usually review those. I didn't even know Season 3 came out, so I'm way behind. Then we have part of the uh, Black Friday uh, severance sale. We have Bowed in Blood by Reguero Diodato. And I absolutely don't love this movie. I've seen this one. It came out a few years back. It's not necessarily great. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of cheesy. But I watched it on Amazon. Maybe I'll give it another another spin. Anyways, I can't. If, if Ruggiero's on Blu-ray, I'm going to buy it. He's one of my favorite directors. Then we have Night of the Demon, which is a really cheesy video nasty. Everybody knows this movie because a Bigfoot rips off a guy's dick. It's just a corny-ass video nasty a lot of people have some love for. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Definitely kind of a fun movie to watch. Uh, yeah. They went all out. There were some releases that had like a book and all this kind of shit with it, a novelization. Uh, one of my all-time favorite movies ever made, House on the Edge of the Park uh, by Ruggiero Diodato, starring John, uh, David Hess, Giovanni Lamberto Radici, Annie Bell, a bunch of other people. I love this movie. I can't wait to see the new print and the commentary by Bruce Holchek and uh, Art Editor. So, yeah. 
um, and that amazing cover art there. Uh, Riz Ortolani score. You can't beat it, man. This movie is gold. Uh, look at all these features. Finally, disc two, Diodato Holocaust, feature-length documentary. Ah, uh, very cool. And I'm a big fan of Cannibal Holocaust, too. I mean, th these are two of my favorite movies. And both in 1980, man. He's king of 1980, as far if you ask me. Then we have Bloody Pit of Horror. Uh, this cover I've seen forever. That big, beefy guy. Like, it's... Uh, I think I had a DVD of this. Never actually seen this one, though. Italian flick. Very cool. And then we have one that is another one that's been out on Blu-ray from Code Red by Jose Larraz. Black Candles. I love Jose Raz. This is one I have not seen from him. I've seen most of his other horror films that have been released. Then we have Forbidden Door by uh, Joko Adwar, who did Satan Slave, which is great. And uh, did he do, what was the one? Um, Impetigo, Impetigore. Uh, yeah, so this one looks pretty cool. Like his film so far. He's, he's, he's never made a bad one. And then last from Intervision, The Halfway House, which I had on DVD. Never did get a chance to watch it. It's supposed to be a crazy non-sploitation movie. This is the uncensored director's cut, so I'm in. I'm in big time. It looks very fun. Okay. Um, I don't know if we're going to lose sound here or not because uh, the new audio deal eats up like tons of, uh, it eats up batteries like crazy. I'm not used to that. So I guess we're going to hop into some of the Vinegar Syndrome stuff. We're going to start uh, this out with Steel and Lace from 1991. This is one of four uh, killer robot movies from 91. This is a fun movie. Mixes uh, Rape Revenge in with kind of like uh, the robotic stuff. Uh, a really cool movie. I'm so happy to see this on Blu-ray. I never thought it would happen, to be honest. Uh, great stuff. Very entertaining. Then we have Creature. That's right. Uh, from William Malone with Klaus Kinski. And also the Titan Fine version in there too. Uh, always said as an alien ripoff. But it has those elements. I'm not sure. I remember. I know William Malone has talked about it. But it's cool. Finally this one gets a nice stateside Blu-ray. It's never had one. I don't even know if it's had a, a overseas Blu-ray either. But that is Creature. Uh, watched for 85 actually and then we have Trauma by Dario Argento one of the greatest horror directors of all time so yeah it's been a while since I've seen this one this is one that I never really loved when I initially saw it I saw it on DVD I think the Anchor Bay whenever that came out but uh, I I'm willing to give this one another watch I know it has uh, Savini effects and it's got uh, Brad Dorf in it I'm definitely more open minded to stuff now oh and then we have this bad boy I can't believe a bolus syndrome is on Blu-ray, let alone 4K. Um, Herman Yao movie starring Anthony Wong. This is a crazy awesome movie from 1996. It's one of the finest Hong Kong horror films I've ever seen. And now I get to watch this bad boy in 4K. In 4 fucking K. A bolus syndrome. Is there... Is, this is the craziest stuff we're seeing now. We're seeing a bolus syndrome in 4 fucking K. How cool is that, guys? Then we have Sensor, which I'm looking forward to very much. I'd heard this is a good film. It sounds right up my alley. Um, yeah, it's got the fake covers in there. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like this is going to make my top 10 of 2021. If uh, It just sounds like it is. The plot and everything. These must be fake flicks within the movie. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Um, <laughs> if you want to put Beast Man on the side of your uh, case instead of uh, Sensor. But this is, I think it's a new sub-label within Vinegar Syndrome. What is it? Oh, no, it's a VSP2. Um, is there another one of these? Man, when you get like 12 slipcovers, it's, it's like those Russian dolls. I'm tired, It's hard to get in there. And we have Radio On from Fun City. Uh, yeah. 
Fun City has been doing a lot of great work. I've not got a chance to watch this one. Um, yeah, that's cool how they did that. Never seen quite like that. So very cool stuff. And then we have uh, one of the Vinegar Syndrome archives, TC2000. Um, these were those movies that were always in the video store as a kid, like these cheesy action sci-fi movies. Fucking Billy Blanks is in here, who did Tybo, which is like a weird exercise thing. Bolo Young's in here, too. So um, this one is one that I might have rented at one point and seen because I was into those sci-fi action movies as a kid. Then we have the Tiger Claws movies for Vinegar Syndrome Archive. I've only seen the first Tiger Claws, and I'm hoping part two and three are much better than the first one. I do not love the first Tiger Claws, kind of a snooze fest, to be honest. But I think I saw part two or two or three on television once, and it looked like a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be into that. Um, I'm kind of glad they're out. Then we have New York Ninja, and this is a VSP-1. I think this is their, like contemporary movies that they're doing. But, man, these sets are getting crazy. They're just going all over the place. I don't even... Like, I feel like I don't want to open it. There we go. Wow. This is some crazy stuff going on here. It's going to take me a half an hour to put it back if I pull it out. So we have this book. This is the one where I had the story where, like, it was initially... Um, like a lost film or not a finished film and they picked it up and they they finished it like they did all the audio for it and they had a bunch of voice actors come in and everything like that like michael berryman and who else is on here linnea quigley so very cool uh anyways it looks looks bonkers the tale of two ninjas the story of how ninja new york ninja came to be so i like it i like it a lot uh if i can get this bad boy back in there look at this this is insane Packaging's getting it. It was getting way out of line. Then we have Flesh for Frankenstein or Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. It has both their Frankenstein 3D and Flesh for Frankenstein. Slip covers in this big box. So first up is Flesh for Frankenstein uh, with a slip cover. It's like a slip cover on a slip cover. Uh, Joe, Joe on there. This is the 4K. Very cool. These boxes are getting insane. Like I said, this is a lot. And then Frankenstein in 3D, which I believe is just a Blu-ray because you can't do 3D and 4K. So I think there's like, I think you got the glasses in there. You got like four, like three versions on here. Um, yeah. So you got it 4K and you also got it in 3D. And geez, like it takes me an hour to put these boxes back now. Ugh, pretty soon you're going to have an entire room that's just a slipcase. There we go. Don't want to damage it. And then we have uh, one from Saturn's Core, which was putting out these crazy 94 SOV movies. Sorority Slaughter. Yeah, this looks like one of these, uh, what is it, Gary, Gary, uh, what was his name? Jeez, he did a bunch of those. This is a Wave production for sure from 94. Sorority Slaughter. I'm definitely going to watch this for 94, though. Why not? Um, then we have Knocking, which is a new sub-label by Vinegar Syndrome. Yellow Veil Pictures. Okay, so looks like Jolly-like, so I picked this one up. Looks looks pretty. Looks like a good movie. I don't pick up all their sub-label stuff. Like a lot of the comedies, I kind of don't go for. I just have a weird sense of humor. You know that. Guys, Agfa, we have all right here. Satanic Horror Night. Uh, Smut Without Smut. Count Dracula. Look at him on there. And then, uh, yeah. Shockers that will uh, excite the devil. I don't know about all that. 
so we're still going on. Huge update. Blood Arama Triple Frightmare. And this kind of reminds me of the old something weird blood box that they used to have. So what do we got in here? We got featuring Help Me on Possess, Night of the Strangler, and Carnival of Blood. Carnival of Blood is the only one I've seen from 1970. But Night of the Strangler I think they had on DVD. And Help Me on Possessed is a title I'm familiar with. Yeah, but uh, very cool. Look at Burt Young on there. What was his freaking name in that movie? And his name always cracked me up. Uh, what was his name in there? I can't remember it. But anyways. Uh, yeah, so anyways, I'm happy to have these on Blu-ray. Yeah, we got one from Altered Innocence, Wild Tigers, I have known. Uh, yeah, I do like Altered Innocence. That's a very cool label. I don't grab everything they do. They do a lot of coming-of-age or LGBT kind of uh, friendly movies and everything. They did Knife uh, Plus Heart and a couple other great ones. They have Arabato coming out next month, which I've been wanting to see for like 20 years, so happy to see that finally. Now we're into some DVDs from Vinegar Syndrome. We have Jungle Blue. Yeah, this looks like, you know, monkey having sex. I'm in. Then we have The Love Slave, which I think they changed their DVDs. This one came as a Rattler. Everything was okay. Uh, but, yeah, that happens sometimes. I, I think they changed their covers, I mean. And then we have Infrasexum, which, uh, that nice bloody knife on there. So, caught my eye. Grab some of the DVDs I didn't have when they were on sale. Nightcaller. And we have Picarama, Big Tui Show, The Sexorcist's Devil, and Devi uh, what is that? Uh, Deviance in Love. Sometimes I have to make sure that when it has the weird font that I'm reading it correctly. Uh, the Blue Hour with One Naked Night and Three in a Towel. It's a big towel. And then last, Death Force and Vampire Hookers, which Vampire Hookers was in their Blu-ray set that they had, like horror, like the five years five I had that, but Death Force, I wanted their print of that. So yeah, big update, 15 minutes long. It's long for an update because I go super quick and let's <laughs> hop back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one. Mm.